what's good in your galaxy? We are over here elevated. How are you spending your quarantine? How are you spending it? How is everyone out there doing? Uh, Astro Alicorn wanted to say hello. Hello, humans. <laughs> hello, humans. Hello, all you humans out there. That's our greeting to you. Hello, humans. <laughs> <laughs> I, f- I feel like the amount of nudes sit must be at an all-time high. At least something good can come out of this. It has to be because everyone's afraid to go out, right? So that's the only that's the only solution. <laughs> just a little bit of positivity. Uh, the, hopefully the data charges aren't going up. There's going to be a premium on that soon. I'm sure someone's going to be someone's going to figure out a way to hoard those. The only problem is the lack of paper goods to beat up into. So it's kind of a catch-22. So we don't have any paper goods. So I don't know how. There's, there's going to be, don't touch any rags for the next year. <laughs> uh, yeah, you definitely don't want to shake anyone's hands right now for several reasons. I mean, there's no there's no hand sanitizer for one. Uh, and there's no, there's not a lot of cleaning products in general. And with, I mean, with the virus going around as well as just, you know, the, the nudes just in abundance, there's, you could connect the dots on that one, I think. (laughs) But on, you know, not to take it too dark too quick, but there's 720,000 infected with coronavirus with 33,000 deaths as of this uh, broadcast. Uh, the U.S. cases are at about 141,000 with 2,400 deaths. So we now lead the world in cases. We always got to be number one in everything, the U.S. So we're leading the world in coronavirus cases right now. Uh, yeah, USA! The death toll could hit uh, 100 to 200,000 with millions infected, according to Dr. Fauci. Fauci? Fauci? I don't know. I've only seen it printed more. I don't really watch the news as much. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it, it always feels like it's just trying to bring you down. Even before this, it feels like all the news is just, most of it's just trying to bring you down. Because that's, I feel like that fires people up more, like negative news. Like the positive news isn't going to get as many clicks, you know. That's just what it seems like. I don't know why that is, but for whatever reason, people, there, there's something to it. People must buy into it for whatever reason, you know. So, yeah, um, I mean, you hope that the figures aren't that high, but it doesn't seem out of the realm of possibility just by doing some math. But they have said that some of the measures we've taken are already helping. And I've seen stuff, I don't know what to believe, but I've seen like, oh, the ozone is is healing now. (laughs) Just from people being inside for this amount of time, like the ozone's healing and and we might be able to avert a catastrophe. So sometimes you just wonder, like, is there just more behind this? Because it's a little weird, but I don't know if I believe that. There's just so many. I mean, that would be like a, one of the only positive conspiracy theories I've seen. So you, don't, you never know. It is possible. And we are going to get into conspiracy theories later on if the reptilians don't shut us down before then. So if this Ramley cuts out at any moment, you know why. You know that they snipped the... The lines with their lizard claws. So, yeah, it's a uh, it's definitely an interesting time. I do feel like we're we're all gonna make it out of this stronger. Like I think everyone will appreciate life more as a result. Like all the little things. Like you'd be like, oh wow, I can go, I can 
go to the beach. I can go to the mountains now. Like I can go to the, this is so great to be able to go to the movie theater, like things like that. I, I don't know. I feel like everyone's going to appreciate all that stuff more. And I don't know, maybe, maybe some of that stuff will never really return to normal, but I kind of think some of it will. So we'll be able to build from there. And I apologize for the, I'm sure the, the, we're picking up some of these sounds in the background, but there's some heavy duty cookie baking going on. So you can understand there's one way to fight through the quarantine with, with uh, baked goods. So yeah. Um, I, I really do think everyone will come out of it more. You know, there'd be a lot of positivity. Like apparently people didn't know that you were supposed to wash your hands this whole time. So that'd be something to learn, you know? That'd be a positive lesson to take away, <laughs> but I, I don't know. Um, just continue to stay strong. Uh, you know, like I know that a lot of people are like dying of boredom right now, and there's like not I, for me personally. I like I like having the ability to just have like a little more free time. Like I'm not used to having all this free time. I'm used to working much more so that part of it has been kind of positive just like you know it, it makes you emphasize spending time with the people you care about more so that's it's something good like in a weird way it's like that is actually a good thing i feel like people are getting closer you know even though it's supposed to be social distancing now but for real like i feel like people are getting closer in that like so I think that that's that's definitely a positive takeaway because not everything not everything is is negative. Like it's all how you look at it. That's always been my philosophy. So like you can take a lot of positive positivity away from this. A lot of positive aspects, I should say. So I, I know it looks dark at times, but but there's a lot more to it than what meets the eye. So yeah, um, support your local businesses. Like you gotta just some of these places. I don't know. Like I worry that they're not gonna make it through it. Like I want to give a shout out to uh, Sugarlicious. It's in Pomona, California. Donut shop. One of my favorite donut shops. Some of the best like customer service, and they just seem happy about what they do. Um, I want to give a shout out to them because. I, I worry about shops like that, you know. I don't want that to be gone. I like the little shops like that. I'm not uh, like a, a chain person as much, you know. Like I don't go to the chains. Uh, shout out to Rita Pizza, nothing, man. Very delicious pizza. Um, it feels like they've been stepping it up more and more since this whole thing started. And like, I don't know, something about it is just. It's just getting better and better. It, it's it's a really good place, though. I would recommend it. Um, it's like a as far as I know, I don't even think they have another location. I haven't bothered to look, but I'm, I feel like that's the only location of Risa Pizza. So that's a positive thing to come out of it, you know, like the the greater appreciation for the smaller businesses. But don't be afraid to support them. I mean, a lot of the big companies are going to be fine, but that's the ones you have to worry about is these small businesses. Like, it's going to be really tough, you know. I think you're going to see some of the big locations or big uh, entities close locations, but you're definitely going to see the small businesses close. And that's that's a terrible thing, really, you know. Like, nobody wants that. So that's what, you know, everything started as a small business. So who knows what all this stuff was is going to would have developed into without all this. But, yeah, um, <laughs> 
like I said, stay strong. Kindly donate nudes to your neighbor in these tough times. It's been a hard time in many ways. Let's get hard together. You know? <laughs> yeah, make them a little bigger. Yeah, but I'm still counting hella bills on Animal Crossing, so that helps. Uh, get ready for more and more of that. You're probably going to be hearing about Animal Crossing on here for a while. Uh, I don't know. If, if anybody, send me your friend codes. Let's let's meet up on there. Let's, uh, let's discuss business. Let's build our islands up. <laughs> I feel like that came out if the the one conspiracy that I could possibly believe in is like with this whole Animal Crossing thing with it coming out right around this time a little suspicious there because it's like the perfect game for just staying inside and relaxing like it's a very calming game and it just feels like I see you Nintendo you knew what you were doing you planned this didn't you (laughs) but yeah so um looking forward to that like i've seen so many um hidden easter eggs in there and yeah like i said just add me you know where to find me at life in zero gravity that's life in the number zero gravity you know what it is not that other person who stole my name (laughs) not them this is the real life in zero gravity (laughs) i don't know They, they might be a real life in zero gravity too but i feel like i came up with this so long ago so I own the rights at this point. But anyway, I'm getting off on the tangent. <laughs> uh, get ready for a Zoomer boom. I expect there to be a lot more Zoomers born in the next like year. <laughs> so that's going to be a, a, a pretty... The generation might might grow to be pretty big because right now I feel like millennials... Millennials are probably going to be the new boomers at some point. You know, like we're going to be the ones that... We're going to be like this massive generation that depends on like... um you know, government benefits and stuff like that. And the Zoomers are just going to be like, oh, my God, when are they going to be gone? Not that I want, I don't want anyone to be gone, but that's what I'm just saying what people say, hypothetically, not me. <laughs> but, yeah, um, we have a very special guest today, someone who means a lot to my broadcasting career. And, uh, I'm so thankful to have had them on. Uh, if you read the description, then I guess you already know who it is, but you may not be familiar with his work. Uh, yeah, so my colleague, my former co-host of Sports Overnight America, uh, the host of Ring Talk for three decades and counting, man, just the list of accomplishments goes on and on for this guy. So I hope you enjoy the interview. Uh, you can see like the influence that he's had on me. <laughs> So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Um, But stay tuned for more KZRO. need that authenticity I need all that fakeness missing me take me back somewhere in history any other time is bliss to me I just need that authenticity I need all that fakeness missing me take me back somewhere in history any other time is bliss to me must be from another generation 70s streets trapped in a simulation feeling like a 2019 hippie rocking my colors that you never seen drippy bright in my senses while light in my incense mother soul vibe and I'm writing a sentence I think I must be some 
type of relic Lots of sweet rhymes, a soul and psychedelic I don't click with all this ignorant nonsense The money's never been bigger than conscience When music was about albums, not singles About the concepts, not one-shot jingles Before everybody was copycats Before it was all shallow poppy tracks When they praised the original thought we lack Need a time machine, wish they brought me back I just need that authenticity I need all that fakeness missing me Take me back somewhere in history Any other time is bliss to me I just need that authenticity I need all that fakeness missing me Take me back somewhere in history Any other time is bliss to me Was I somehow switched at the hospital? That might explain all these obstacles Living in a time no one sees the skills Everyone's broke, they put their shoes to bills Must be from the past, like in the 60s That flow of power might benefit me I'm trapped in a world that's too complacent Too satisfied by unproven statements In a place that doesn't embrace nature They'd rather simulate than trace later Facing weakening spiritual connections Emphasis on material possessions Delirium affecting the different degrees Some clean up, some are just shifting debris Tired of this era and how fake we act I need that real, somebody take me back I just need that authenticity I need all that fakeness missing me Take me back somewhere in history Any other time is bliss to me I just need that authenticity I need all that fakeness missing me Take me back somewhere in history Any other time is bliss to me I just need that authenticity I need all that fakeness missing me Take me back somewhere in history Any other time is bliss to me I just need that authenticity How's it going? What is it, what's your handle these days? Are you going by Taco Man? Is it Mr. Fernandez, Dr. Fernandez? Um, actually, it's I, I was thinking more like PhD, but you know, you can call <laughs> me what you want. I mean, my birth certificate says Pedro Fernandez. Okay, cool, cool. fair enough. <laughs> you are a bit of a, a sweet scientist, right? 
What would you say? Um, I don't know about that. I think I know a little <laughs> bit about boxing. Yeah, I guess sweet scientist sounds a little strange, right, the term? Well, I'm from San Francisco. You say you're a sweet scientist coming from this city. It could be interpreted a whole lot of different, whole lot of different ways. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good point. Uh, how's, the, the, how's this coronavirus affecting life up there? I think it's affected life like it has everywhere. It's shut life down. I mean, she's... In, and if it's done right, we'll shut life down for another six to eight weeks. That's just the way it's going to be in order to outride this virus. And everybody's saying to me, well, what are you talking about? Well, having been involved in disaster preparation before the SFPD, um, the upper echelons of the SFPD, because I was working in community relations. So I was the guy that you would send out to tell the Latino community, some cop, some cop just shot your kid, something like, so I was, a, I was, their, I was their guy. So I got to in and out some meetings. Um, it, this was this is essentially germ warfare. We just don't know how how the germ is traveling. It's a virus is a germ, and you can't protect against that. All you can do is lock people down so they don't mingle with one another and pass it around and this and that, and hope that the people that do get this can write it out. Because as it looks right now, you know a lot of people are dying. Period. Italy had Italy had like a thousand people almost die yesterday. Eight hundred ninety three, something like that. But that's a, that's a lot yeah. of people. They've only and Zachary, I don't mean to interrupt you here, but they only got 60 million people. If you do the mathematics and we get over this coronavirus thing real quick here just by doing the math, you do, do the mathematics, they have 60 million people. We have 360 million people. So six times six, that means if they've got 900 people dying a day, that means nine times six, that means we're probably going to have between 4,000 and 5,000 people dying a day. You feel me? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think we've seen the worst of it, but it's it's not too late to, to actually act on it. But hopefully... Um, they don't try to reopen everything for business like they've been talking about. Yeah. Uh, how about that guy Glenn Beck? He said he said he'd give up his life for the economy. I, I said, you know, I don't know what. How do you counter? How do you counter gibberish? How do you counter? Can I? This is how do you counter bullshit like that? I mean, how do you counter that? This guy's got a million people listening to him on the radio, and he's telling them the right thing to do is to sacrifice your life for the economy. For yeah. who? For a bunch of billionaires like Trump and. In, in in Bloomberg and people like that, kiss my ass. <laughs> Bloomberg, yeah, man. The, the what was I? Get? Oh yeah, like the thing the thing that's really crazy about that is they're literally telling people like your money is worth more than your life. <laughs> you know, but that's that, it, no, that's, that's, as that's never as that, it gets. True, that's never been the concept here in the United States of America. It's always been alluded to. It was sort of like it was sort yeah. of like you know. Calling your neighbor a nigger, you know what I'm saying? You, you call him that when not to his face. You say, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's stuff you say under your breath. But um, you know, these people are come right out and just they're come right out and saying it. People that aren't in the economic right spot here tend to have will tend to have a greater chance of dying, a far greater chance of dying than the Michael Bloomberg's of the world. Well, yeah, well, yeah. Other than the fact that he's in the like danger age group, you know, but no, with the, he. he the, he can buy his own. He can, he can he can have his own ventilator made overnight. They they could FedEx it to him. Yeah. So. Yeah. That, <laughs> that is that is a good point, uh, man. The the I'm glad that we finally have we've finally gotten out of another epidemic, which was the Mike Bloomberg ads. You know, we 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 survived those. I, I those never were, saw one. I, I guess I was in a closet there. Wow. I didn't see one. So. 
Man, I guess you you had the uh you you had the vaccine for those, I guess. <laughs> I, had, I guess I had the right filters up or something, but no, I yeah. was, was I don't get any of that political garbage on my uh, on my pages. I just somehow I don't get it. it. Seemed like they were everywhere. It was like pretty hard to avoid them. But n- nice job, sir. Nice job escaping from those. <laughs> do you, when do you think that things will actually go back to normal, or will they ever go back to normal? Mm, you, you mean like people back to work and that kind of stuff? After yeah, like thing, a, after, after this thing peaks and probably about probably you can probably look for it to peak, and then God knows what happens after that. Maybe there'd be a second wave. There could be for sure. Yeah, there could be a second or a third wave. Who knows? I mean, it's a virus. See, that's here's what's up. This is what I sort of compare it to the to the. I, I grew up in San Francisco, and and the AIDS epidemic broke out here in, in the late 1970s. And it got to be a point where, you know, you didn't have unsafe sex. You really didn't even want to have sex. You almost wanted yeah. to be asexual. I mean, because it was just so frightening. You know what I'm saying? And, and at least that was a sexually transmitted virus. This virus, um, which I thought was suspect to begin with, because let's go back to history. Cain and Abel and those guys, they were sleeping with each other back then. So sodomy didn't bother me. Nobody didn't bother anybody back then. But then in 1978, it becomes deadly. So, yeah, it, it is what it is. Anyway, um, back Something to the didn't subject. Add up, huh? <laughs> yeah, it just didn't. I mean, these guys have been doing this shit for thousands of years, and all of a sudden it's deadly? Yeah, because they, they tried to blame it on – didn't they blame a monkey at one point or something? Like, there's, like, all these well, different conspir- – now they're blaming, like, bats for this one. Like, there's, it seems like it's always animal-related, right? <laughs> Well, the animal related and sex related, I guess, but you can't have sex with a bat. Right. I don't think. <laughs> well, I, depending on who you I are, I guess. <laughs> Some people I might be able so, to. <laughs> okay, so what's the subject? What's the subject at hand today? Oh man, well I got all types of st- I have all types of things on there. I I don't know if you've heard the the podcast, which is actually referred to as a godcast. That's what we refer to this here, because it's uh it's divine in a way. But uh, we just go in all types of different directions. So my I was I wanted to ask you if you've ever seen anything like this in your lifetime, like this uh the, current, the AIDS epidemic the AIDS epidemic in the in the San the Francisco closed. Castro district. Oh yeah. I mean, the, the streets the streets went went um uh there's nobody on the street. I mean it's I mean we're talking about you could like fire guns down Castro Street, down one of the most busiest streets in the world. A year and a half, two years earlier, and you could fire a gun down the street and not hit anybody. And that's interesting. I guess people didn't understand exactly how that was transmitted, though. So that was part of it, right? That was that was part of it, but it was also a a good chance to um to exploit gay uh, fear. Yeah. Phobias. Um, yeah, that makes sense because it was it was seen as almost like strictly for gay people at one point, right? Well, it was, but then you know, then straight people were getting in it as well, and yeah. intravenous drug users, all kinds of crazy stuff. I did a benefit for the um, for the uh, for the AIDS workers, actually the, the medical staff at San Francisco General Hospital. I can't remember what ward it was, something like Ward 12 or something like that. But um, they said when I was with the SFPD, the, they came to us and they wanted somebody to go out there and feet and honor the the staff. Well, you know, none of the guys that I worked with, except for the gay dude, wanted to have anything to do with going out there, right? So I thought right. I would, I thought I would piss everybody off. So I went out there, and, and you know, I was buffed at the time. I went out there in a Chippendale outfit. I mean, this with the, <laughs> the collar, this with the collar, and and the cuffs, 
Okay. And then I didn't know it though, but I did pay a price for it because it ended up on the front page of the gay newspaper here in San Francisco. And I took some heat on that one for a while. (laughs) (laughs) Was it worth it? (laughs) Yeah, it was. Fuck. Oh, hell yeah. I mean, without a doubt. Um, I got to, um, listen, this was back when a point when everybody was scared of people with AIDS and, and I, I watched Roberto Duran deal with Esteban Jesus and this and that, you know, and, I said to myself, you know, I'm not going to get into this phobic line here, and I don't think anybody's going to be able to get anything, do anything to me without French kissing me or, or doing something, you know, risque. And uh, so I went out there and I donated my time and my, my, and my I can't remember, Paul Ellis, I forget what the other guy's sibling, something like that. He was the gay cop, the gay community relations officer. But yeah, I went out there, I had a good time and I've always been supportive of the gay community. In fact, you know, I mean, I live here in San Francisco, and, and you, you know, when I see two gay guys going down the street holding each other's hand, you know what I say to myself, Zach? What's that? Two more chicks for me. <laughs> you make a you make a point there. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, you, take, take where you want to take. You want to take it? Let's go. What do you think of baby boomers? I'm do you a baby consider, boomer. Yeah, so what do you think of your generation? What's your opinion of uh, the overall? They were the last. Yeah. Of the ed- they, they were the last of the educated. I think. Yeah. Uh, I think as far as like, I mean, you know, I, well, I I've been to schools and I've done a lot of speaking at schools over the years, and um, I sort of hearken speaking at a school to speaking in a jail because I taught school in a jail for a while, and um, it's just it, it's just. I don't see the I just don't see the discipline involved anymore. And I don't know how you're going to learn when everybody's talking and nobody's really expecting the teacher and this. And that. I just just wasn't anything like I did this. I, I think I went in 2004 back to my 2002, back to my junior high school that I graduated 30 years earlier and did the, uh, the graduation speech. And I was just blown away by the the lack of. Um, I, I don't I don't know how you can comprehend in those atmospheres anymore. I just don't know. So. The school, the schooling system right now, the public school system, I think, is really lacking. And I think it's part of the dumbing down of America. And when I say that last generation, we're talking about the generation maybe a little bit before me, because I was born in 57. So a little bit of the people before me. But they got to go to college cheap. See, I mean, you can go to UC Berkeley. You can go to UC Berkeley, I think, for $1,600, bucks, $3,200 a year. Okay, so that was like from September to June would be 3200 bucks you could take four units or something like that whatever whatever as many classes you could take um now that'll cost wow. you about 80 that that'll cost you about 80 grand so wow. so school so schools aren't affordable anymore college degrees are down per capita and the dumbing down of America has um been successful <clears throat> yeah so you think it do you think it's an intentional thing to dumb the people down well, without a doubt without a doubt without it I mean, those people listen you don't see people marching in the street anymore when when, when things went crazy in the 60s and the 70s man we got out there in the street millions of us got out there in the street millions okay and all over the country okay that doesn't happen anymore people's people send an email i guess they did that occupy wall street thing right that's probably they, the closest they, yeah, that, that, yeah but that, that that sort of fell on on death well, it wasn't ears. the same and, and i i, I had no, I had some sympathy for them, but we're talking about the Vietnam uh, War and, and, and uh, the, the 1968 uh, riot in Chicago at the, at the uh, Democratic Convention, of course, preceded about a month and a half earlier by the assassination of the leading candidate in the race, Bobby Kennedy Jr. So 
you know, the, my baby boomer generation has seen a lot. Yeah. No, yeah, no doubt. I think that was a that was definitely an interesting time or still is, you know, but that the 60s, 70s is, is definitely a pivotal point. Right. <laughs> well, you know, I, mean, I got to live in San Francisco, so I had the Zodiac Killer here. I had the oh, Black yeah. Panthers were here. The SLA was here. Patty Hearst was here. I mean, uh, Jim Jones was here and the Jonestown, the Jonestown Massacre and this kind of stuff. I mean, um, Senanon was here. I remember Senanon. Senanon was a, a, a convict a rehabilitation company or group program or something like that that was endorsed by the local government. And we went out. They were giving away free meals once a week. So it said free meals in the newspaper. So me and my buddy said, you know, we'll squat there and get some snacks. So we went out there one time and those guys like threatened us with our lives. So anyway, we never went back. And then about 10, 15 years later, the Synanon president, this guy that really was basically ran us out of the place, they, he put some rattlesnakes in some guy's mailbox. And I don't oh, think wow. he put the rattle. Yeah, he didn't put the rattlesnakes in there to deliver the mail. He put the rattlesnakes in there to kill the dude. You know, so yeah, San Francisco's history is pretty crazy. I knew George Moscone. He was killed. Um, Harvey Milk came to one of my fights. And he was and he was one of the other supervisor who was killed here in in San Francisco. So, you know, custom history here. Yeah, definitely. That's a lot going on. Uh, You were you were a cop for many years, as you've mentioned. How do you think uh, police can improve? Like they've had a lot of bad PR the last like couple years. No, it is what's because they don't get because none of them wants to get they're afraid to get out of the car. They yeah. don't get out of the car. They they police from the car. See, today's police world is um, all about response and responding to calls. In other words, well, my era, I drove around in a sector, which was a section of the, of the district, or I went outside of the, my sector to maybe where there was hotter districts, hotter sectors as far as crime, go, ongoing crime was concerned. But um, I patrolled my sector, and I knew the people in my sector for the most part. And um, I knew who to go to if something really happened. And, and they, they, that just there's a breakdown that, that doesn't happen anymore. There's no cops don't get it. And here's what's up. When I used to get people, when I used to pull people over, pull people over speeding or, or, they, or, or I mean, I'm not talking about like 150 miles an hour, but you pull somebody over speeding or, or on, on uh, Third Street, they had no left turn in a couple of corners and people would make left turns all the time. And, you know, and, and, and I pull them over because I, you know, I was a recruit, a rookie at the time. This, you got to pull these people over. So I pull them over and then I found out a clause in the um, vehicle code which says I can warn these people. I can give them an admonishment. I don't have to give them a ticket. So I go up and tell them, you know, blah, blah, blah. Hey, you know, you shouldn't be doing that with the kid in the car. Let's have a good day. Goodbye. And that would build community relations. In other words, people would know I'm not a dick. You know what I'm saying? And if something happened in the neighborhood, they knew they can come to me because, you know what? That dude didn't give me a ticket. He could have gave me a ticket, blah, 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 blah. Or he could have done this. And, and that wasn't me. I was more of a, I had more of the social worker approach. So um, I, as far as today's policemen are concerned, that's the one thing I say they don't get out of the car enough. Yeah, it's not as a personal, huh? No, uh-uh. There's, yeah. And plus, plus, listen, I'll be honest with you. <clears throat> since we're on a podcast, yeah. a, lot of cops are, a lot of cops are punks. You know what I mean by that is I'm a four-time Golden Glove champion, so I know to fight a little bit. And yeah. I was boxing in the I was I boxed in the in the police academy. I didn't want to tell you, but but a couple of the two guys they put me in the police Olympics with, both those guys went down. Um, and 
so they so that wasn't what I'm trying to say. Other fight, other guys, when they would box each other, they would turn their backs and run. I mean, they would just turn their backs. And these are guys you're going to put a gun on their waist. You hear what I'm saying? So I wasn't down with that. I thought there should have been a little bit more hand to hand exchanges before you know you go to the gun. And it was that way in my time. But now you can get away with the thing. Well, I was scared for my life, so I shot him. That's the justification nowadays for killing people. I was scared for my life. So you think people just need more ass weapons? No, I just think that I think that cops <laughs> need I think that cops need to to do a, a cops need to be in physical condition to the point where they can go a couple of rounds without having to kill somebody. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you on that. I feel like there there's a lot of different ways they can use beanbags, even like tasers. Like I, it always goes right to a gun, and uh, it, or not always, but in a lot of cases, and it just seems over the top, doesn't it? Yes, but listen, <clears throat> I was scared for my life. Listen, yeah, and I tried, and I tried to tell this guy some, some, some. I won't mention his name, but he, uh, he shot somebody in San Francisco, and he and I ran into each other at a bullset club. And he was going, yeah, I'm so-and-so, blah, 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 blah. And I said, you know, I said, if you had a little bit more balls, I said, you wouldn't have, we wouldn't have shot that dude. He said, what are you talking about? I said, I said, listen, I said, that was a situation you approached on yourself. You thought you got all macho with him and your gun was in your hand. You walked up on somebody, you got within the danger zone with your gun in your hand, and you couldn't do nothing but fire it. Because, I right. mean, if you get... If you get within two or three feet of a guy and you got a gun in his hand, he makes a move at you. What are you going to do? Right. Yeah. It could have easily turned. That probably isn't even the best thing to do in that scenario, huh? No, it isn't. It's always always maintain a distance. Try to maintain control. Try to get him down on. Try to get him prone. Get him down on all fours if need be, or whatever you need. Put on the knees. Um, try to do it with verbal commands, man. That that idea of getting macho and having to do it. And that's that's what gets cops killed and gets people killed. Yeah, I think cops just they can't fight no more, man. Don't you understand? The cops that I grew up, the cops when I grew up, the cops were always Irish guys in San Francisco. They were Irish guys for the most part. A lot of them drank, but they could they could they could throw (laughs) they throw they throw a few hands once in a while. You know, like um, when I got pulled over as a kid, they used to slap me around. They wouldn't give me a ticket. They kicked me in the ass and slapped me around. I got pulled over driving a motorcycle and a mini bike, and that's the kind of stuff they would do. And and you know, and, and and when I came, became a policeman, I came became a policeman in part to to offset that. But you know, that was pretty valuable. I think those little ass whoopings that they gave me because it made me a better cop. <laughs> it, it just it made me a better cop. And um, one of them committed suicide. His name was Wohler. He he was one of the cops that did this to me. He committed suicide. And the other guy ran the police gym. His name was Adams. So it was Adams and Wohler. They're sort of like Starsky and Hutch. But um. You know, there's ways to do things and ways not to do things. But I think to an extent, um, that I was better. I, w- I, w- I felt better than slapping me around and giving me a ticket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of people would probably choose that, especially depending on, like, what's, what your uh, economic situation is, right? Yeah, well, well, what's the fine like, yeah. on that one? 500 bucks yeah. to kick the shit out of me. Go ahead. <laughs> is, that the, is that the limit, you think? What's it at 500 but. Anything under that, maybe you take the fine, but if it's 500, you just take the ass whipping. I don't know, man. What is, what is it? One slap across the mug or what? I don't know. Um, <laughs> listen, I'm not, I'm not advocating police violence. I'm not advocating yeah. violence at all. We're just yeah, having definitely. a good time. Right, yeah. I w- I'm not either. It's just, it is funny to think. Hey, 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 so here's what, so if I got a question for you. If Conor McGregor came out today screaming about 
Ireland needs an island, needs to go into full lockdown. He did some big fury speech on national television in, in, uh, in Ireland that the country needs to go down on lockdown. Where are the American athletes? Where are the is there where is the Bill Russells and and the uh, and, and the Lou Alcindor's? I mean the Kareem Abdul Jabbar's. I know Bill Russell's gone, but Jabbar's still around. See, there's no super. There's Bill no Russell's super. Still here, actually. Yeah. All right. Well, well, where's Tom Brady? You know what I'm saying? I mean, this would be a good spot for Tom Brady to come out and say, you know what, everybody needs to stay in the house. You know what it is? I think. I may be wrong, but I believe Conor McGregor has actually already lost someone to this. So I believe that might be why he's stepping up like that. I feel like once an athlete goes through that, then mm-hmm. then they'll they'll be more likely to do that, you know, in, in America. And and they should. I mean, I hope that they can start getting more momentum on that because it doesn't seem like reopening everything is, is going to be a good idea at all. <laughs> no, no. Listen, and bet, listen. The only way – this is what you don't understand. It isn't the, man, the amount of people getting sick. It's the amount of strain put on the hospitals. See? In other words, if you've got a hospital, you can only take 1,600 people. That means 1,600 people. So right. after 1601 to 1602, there's not any room left. So the 1601 and the 1602 are not going to get hospitalized. And as far as the ventilator is concerned, I just watched Trump's expert – on television, as far as the ventilators are concerned, he said that they may have 75,000 ventilators at the end of the year. Well, they might need 200,000 ventilators in about a month. Right. So without a ventilator, yeah, without a ventilator, you die. If wow. you get this shit, if you get this stuff big time, it goes attacks your respiratory system. If you don't have a ventilator, you're a dead man. Period. If you're if if you have some pre-existing conditions, right? And, and like the no, average person. No, there's kids. There's, there's no way you could say that. You sound like Trump. If the average person, this and that. No, no, no. Some kid died of it in, in California. This this we this you this week. So you know, I mean, kid, kid was like 19, 20 years old. So that's a kid to me. Young people are dying. Just 30 percent of the people in ICU are under 40. Yeah, that, I mean, it's it's definitely. Not it's definitely dangerous for sure, and but I, I, I don't think we've ever, we've ever encountered. I, yeah, I don't know if we fully understand it yet, you know. And I think you that'll can't, take a while because it's a virus. It's a virus. Yeah. Listen, people people don't want to understand it. You got the president giving conflicting viewpoints of what the Surgeon General. The Surgeon General comes out and says, "Look, this is really bad. You need to stay away from people. You need to lock yourself up. You need to stay in the house." And Trump comes out and says, "Yeah, I'm going to lift the restrictions." I mean, what, what kind of you know? I mean, white people listen to this guy in mass, man. He's like, he's like the, he's like the, the, the KKK pope. <laughs> they already had one of those too, right? <laughs> I think they did. Yeah, man. Well, it's it's a lot to take in for sure. Okay, <laughs> keep keep rolling. Where do you want to go with this? What, what else is on your mind, Zachary? You, will sports ever be the same after this? Do you think we can ever go back to how they were? Like, in terms of the audience and all that? Like, the live audience? Well, I'm going to remember, you know, Mike Tyson and Michael Spinks and Mike Tyson's fights and this and that and the De La Hoya fights and a couple of Ali fights and this and that. And I'm wondering if we ever get back to having forty or 50,000 people in one place for an athletic event. Am I saying, trying to say the sports are done forever? I just don't know. I mean, I just is this the first 
uh, of many of these viruses. They're going to they're going to emanate from some part of the world, and and they're just going to keep you know hitting us year after year after year. Who knows what's going to go on, man? Who knows? I mean, well, these, it's all it's on. Viruses like these have happened like several times, you know, but it seems like they're taking this one more seriously than in a past in the past because. Like tens of millions of people died of swine flu, but I don't feel like the reaction was as strong as it's been to this, which I think is a good thing. But, you know, at, at the same time, I think that could offer some encouragement to people because it's like. Zachary, Zachary, I never I never took any fret for the swine flu. I swear, honestly, God, I didn't. I, I don't believe remember it. like 12 million people died it. here of it or something like that. It was a lot of people. No, 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 not, not, not in the United States. It didn't. Last, the, the last. The last big real um, carnage put on by a virus was in 1918. It was called the Spanish flu. And it wiped out 50 million people worldwide. And according to Larry Merchant, um, the earth was only 25% of the population it is now today. So I'll go back to the numbers. Um, if, if, if Italy's got 60 million people, we have 360 million people, that means we're going to have six times as many cases as Italy. And Italy's going up to 1,000 a day. We may have as many as five to 6,000 people um, being diagnosed today, and you know, forty to maybe forty percent of those people are going to die. Forty percent—that seems high, doesn't it? Not really. Not when you spend. Not when, listen, the problem with the United States is we haven't done any testing, so people have been dying, and we don't know. Well, they died. He died of the flu. If you don't test them, how do you know? They're not testing. I mean, yeah, that's true. But the president, the president's tech. Listen, it was a strategy not to test. That was a strategy. It backfired on miserably, but it was a strategy not to test because see, if you start testing, the numbers start coming up. And like, what did you say a month ago yesterday? He goes, there's only 13 cases, 15 cases. He goes, and by next week, there'll be zero. Well, last night, there were 66,000 cases. So he's only off by 65,985. Yeah. <laughs> Just a little bit, huh? <laughs> yeah. You know? Do you th- I remember, listen, when Don King, when Don King pimped him and punked him in, in 1989, he, we were promoting the, um, or we were at the uh, the Mike Tyson, Carl, the Truth Williams fight. I think that's place in August of 1989. But I think this interchange or this inner, this, this, this go back and back and forth between King and um, Donald Trump, the two Donalds, I think I think this was late August, I don't know, late July. So I'm in Don King's office. And Don ordered breakfast for us. So we, they brought us a ping pong table full of food. I mean, like enough food. Our own buffet, basically our own buffet. So Trump was good at, at that. I mean, he did, as far as the food was concerned, he had pretty decent grub. Um, so we were eating and the phone rings. <clears throat> and they go, Don, is for you. <clears throat> and he's, Don's eating food. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay. Boom. Boom. Pedro. Yeah, yeah. Donald Trump's coming downstairs. Motherfucker, don't shake hands. I said, what? Yeah, you heard me. Don't shake hands. Don't be trying to shake hands. I said, I don't like to do it anyway. I said, you know, Mark Edis is my guy. Mark is my guy. That's his lawyer. That's his late, late, his deceased attorney. Mark Edis was my good friend. And um, I said, well, Mark's my buddy. I said, I really, I really don't have to have, done, have nothing to do with the dude. Blah, 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 blah. So, you know, you can see, he goes, well, go, go in the back. Don't F things up for all of us. Let's go in the back. So I went in the back of the room with my watermelon. I remember that. And um, and Donald Trump came in and they took a couple of pictures together, him and King. And then King says to him, I need 139 hotel rooms. This is about four or five days before the fight, maybe a week before the fight. 
maybe 10 days, maybe no more than two weeks. He says, I need 139 motel rooms. Trump said, okay. He goes, I need um, $150,000 for a Sugar Ray Robinson party. He goes, yeah, he goes, I'm flying Millie in first class. And Trump goes, okay. So as far as his art of the deal is concerned and this negotiation is concerned, I didn't see much negotiation. I just saw Don going in there and telling him, look, man, this is what I want. Give it to me. And he gave it to him. So this art of the deal and this the great negotiator and this kind of stuff, um, that's just that's just paperback stuff. That's bullshit. Yeah, so he's different than obviously different than what he portrays, huh? It's a, it's an act. It's an act. Yeah. He's just an right now he's a bumbling old man. He's a bumbling old fool. I think it has some serious uh, issues regarding senility and things like that. I mean, I don't listen. If he wasn't a white man, you think they would let a black man do this kind of crap? Are you serious? This guy, this guy's answering to the beck and call of the corporations in this country. They love him. They love him. Stock market loves him. Okay. Um, the corporations love him. The racists love him. I mean, white people. A good percentage of them love him. I mean, what, what more can I say? I mean, has there ever been a guy that sort of stood up um, and said, guess what? I'm a racist, and you know it, and I know it, and most people don't care. And that's what it boils down to, because most people don't care, man, because this guy would have never got elected, considering uh, if he wasn't white and uh, prissy. Yeah, and you know what? I'll do. You, I'll go one further for you. If he wasn't a Republican, I don't think it would be the same. <laughs> no, well, I, I don't think he. I don't think he could. He couldn't. He couldn't. He couldn't espouse those type of views on the Democratic side of the. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, so that plays you know, a role. I mean, on, you know man. what I mean? Because like well, it, the the Democrats are almost like too divided to the point where it's like if somebody says one wrong thing twenty years ago, like they're canceled or whatever. You know. <laughs> Listen, the, listen, the democratic process in this country, and maybe your listeners ought to listen to this. I'm a student of United States history. But the democratic process in the United States was short-circuited in 1963 when the uh, security state that was put together in 1945 by President Harry Truman after World War II, after the Office of Strategic Services, which was a predecessor to the CIA, uh, was disbanded and they made the CIA. Um, those people went on later in 1963 and killed the president. And then they covered it up. So dem the democracy in this country has been suspect since 1963. And then in 1968, just so coincidentally, they happened to take out the number one uh, speaker for black civil rights. They took him out. I'm talking about Martin Luther King. And then two months later, Bobby Kennedy's dead. And I'll give you a little tip on Bobby Kennedy here. I was with a 91-year-old Mort Saul. He was a comedian. He used to work on The Tonight Show. Back in the 1960s, he was President John Kennedy's good friend. And I was with him about three months ago in, in, in Marin County. We, he has a, a gig that he does once, once a week, once in a while, if his health is okay. On Thursday night, he does a little TV show, radio show, podcast, call what you want. But he was telling me that, that, that Jim Garrison, who was the district attorney in, 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 uh, in New Orleans that they based the JFK movie on, that he went to Bobby Kennedy um, five or six weeks before Bobby was killed. Now, Bobby was killed in June of 1967, 68, in the first week there. So we're probably talking about early May of 1968. And and, and Garrison went to him, and, and Bobby Kennedy said, listen, the guys that killed my brother, he used to call his brother Jack. That's what he called him, Jack. He goes, the, guy that killed, the guys that killed Jack, I'm going after when I, get to, when I get the nomination. And Garrison says to him, you don't get it. They're going to kill you before you get the nomination. Bobby Kennedy says, Keep mother, blah, 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 get the hell out of here. 
to Bobby Garrison, throws Jim Garrison out of his office. Okay, five weeks later, Bobby Kennedy's dead. Coincidence? No, it was oh, the writing was on the writing was on the wall. They weren't going to allow this guy to this guy with with envisions uh, with the with the hope that he could help the down the poor and the downtrodden. I mean, the Kennedys had money. They didn't need they didn't need money. You know, all these other guys want money, need money. Money is their main motivating factor. I think John Kennedy was the last guy that wasn't motivated by, motivated by money. If anything, if anything, he was motivated by by uh, getting laid. The guy was always getting laid. More power to him. I mean, he was getting laid instead of making war. Make love <laughs> instead of war. Uh, I'm glad. You know, I'm, I'm glad you brought him up because I remember discussing this to you. I uh, were discussing this with you a while back. And um, I think you've done more research than most people. Who do you think uh, killed JFK? Well, the, the, the military establishment, the military establishment, military intelligence. Because I'll tell you, um, Oswald was tied up. There was two Oswalds. There was one Lee Oswald and one Harvey Oswald. They sort of looked alike. And they were both put in the same school at one point in time in New Orleans. And then they were sort of like in the same towns. And they sort of followed each other around this. And then they had two mothers that looked alike, but they weren't, they were totally, totally two different women. One woman was short and fat, and tall was tall and pretty. So they were two different guys. One Oswald was about five foot 11, five foot 10, with a very receding hairline. He was built like a, like a linebacker. The Oswald that was killed by Jack Ruby, that was suspected of killing President Kennedy, <clears throat> he was about five foot seven and 135 pounds. So these were totally two different, totally men. And if you look at the pictures, that the Warren Commission has put together back in 1964, um, it's pretty obvious that there's two of these guys. But they, you know, they 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 just ignore it. it is, I mean, they put they put they publish the pictures. You look at it, there's two different guys there, but they just ignore it. If you ask people, ask people to explain it, they won't. Life Magazine put this picture of Oswald on the cover of, of Life Magazine. There's nobody, and, and nobody's ever taken credit for the photo. Every photo in the history of Life Magazine has had a credit photo next to it. Every single photo in the history of Life Magazine since its, since its conception had a, um, has, there's a page in the magazine that says photo credits. It was never photo credits given for the Oswald picture because it was faked. Um, and who could fake that kind of stuff? Well, not the mafia, obviously, the government. The government wanted to overthrow the government. They wanted to overthrow the president. They pulled a coup. They took him out, and that was it. Oh, Plain wow. and simple. <laughs> That's a, I mean, your theory makes as much sense as any other ones that I've well, heard. Well, here's what. Sure. Let me run, let me run military. Let me run the military intelligence by you. James Powell was a military agent for for U.S. Army intelligence. Okay, he took a picture of Oswald's. I mean, uh, supposedly Oswald got on, he got on this bus after leaving the school book to Bob's story. After killing the president, he got on a bus. Now I don't know about you, too many guys, but if you're going to kill somebody, I guess the quickest way to escape is like on a bus. Um, but anyway, he takes a city, he waits for a city bus. He yeah, takes a city bus. And strange. The, yeah. And the city bus gets caught up in traffic. So in the meantime, this James Powell guy is taking pictures of the bus. He's not taking pictures of anything else around there. He's taking pictures of the bus. Okay. And then a couple of minutes later, he takes a picture of the school book depository. And yet nobody knows the bullet, the shots came from there because they were saying the shots came from the bushes and to the right. So he took pictures of stuff that nobody would knew have, would have any role in this. Okay. So he took those pictures of Oswald on the bus and then the Oswald window. And then an hour and a half later, he takes a picture of Oswald getting arrested about seven miles away. I mean, what are the chances of this guy being going from bang to bang to bang to bang? Come on, man. He was he was he knew where he was going. 
Yeah, that seems strange. That whole like the strange. Fact, yeah, the fact. I mean, the fact he would take Listen, a what, bus. What, yeah, like, no. When I went to Army Intelligence, the man that prosecuted Jack Ruby, his name was Bill Alexander, William Alexander. He was a district attorney in Dallas. He died a few years ago at the age of like ninety-five. Um, but he 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 was with Army Intelligence in nineteen forty-five in World War Two. So when I got together with a marathon session with him, um, he he freaked out on the Dorothy Dorothy Kilgallen thing. She was a, a reporter, but he also started. He really got really weird when I was pushing on Powell because I said, you know, how could Powell take all these pictures, man? I mean, he's here, he's here, he's there, and he got very uncomfortable. He started screaming. That's the only time he really got uncomfortable in a six-hour six, six session. So I think I hit a nerve there. And if you look at the um, the fact that the Secret Service was compromised. I mean, because you know the car came to a stop, man. I mean, they couldn't have, they couldn't have shot that guy from a they couldn't have shot only him from a moving car. They would have shot everybody else in the car too. That car came to a stop and they shot him up. They precisionly killed him. It was a hit, a stone cold hit. But at the end of the day, so they got some guy named Lee Harvey Oswald when there was actually two Oswalds, as I said, and this was part of Operation Oswald that was put together in 1947. By the CIA, in other words, to have two guys that were under went to school under the same name, took some of the same classes, this in the same school, okay, but only one of them spoke Russian. One of them spoke perfect Russian because he was from the from that area of the former Baltic or the former Soviet Union. Because after World War II, thousands, if not millions, of kids were like orphanized, and they brought this kid over here and they trained him. Essentially, they trained him, so he grew into this Lee Harvey Oswald character, and he went over to Russia. In the meantime. The Oswald, the real Lee Harvey Oswald, was born in 1939, and that was like three or four inches taller. I told you, a real husky, isn't that? He's hanging around with Barney Miller, Barney Miller's, uh, the Barney Miller TV show, actor Steve Landsberg. He's up in New York City and in in, in, uh, in, in in New York City in, in the Bronx, all over the place around there. He's down in New Orleans. And at the same time, this Oswald we thought to kill the president is in Russia. So you can't have them. In, and we have FBI reports of them in two different places. And, you know, and, and I think the dead giveaway is I'm sorry if I'm running off on a rant here. But, but um, the dead no, no giveaway problem. was in 19 in 1960. J. Edgar Hoover was the head of the was the head of the FBI, the director of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. And he laid out in a memo to the justice to the uh, to the State Department. He said it appears that it appears that an imposter is using Lee Harvey Oswald's passport. We would like to have no more information on this. So three years before Kennedy even gets killed, Oswald ends up in an FBI report written not by not by some punk ass agent, but by the director. Oh wow, <laughs> that, that, that does make sense that they'd have like the whole like two people thing makes a whole lot of that does make sense honestly. And, well, it makes, and it makes, it, they can't always listen. It ain't always it, it can't always do it. But um. Uh, and they don't look perfectly alike. One's taller, one's shorter. But when you put on military caps, they sort of look alike, a little alike. And this is something that Russians, the Russians have done, the Chinese have done. I mean, oh, we've always used twins as far as um, as counterintelligence. Occurred. Twins have always been a, a valued asset. Yeah, no doubt. Um, and it makes sense, you know. Are there what what conspiracy theories do you believe in? Are they turning the frogs gay, like Alex Jones said? <laughs> No, I, I listen, man. I don't know any frogs that are gay, but I will say this: I will say that 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 um conspiracy is 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 a, is a maligned word. Let me tell you where the where the term conspiracy theorist was created. It was created by the Central Intelligence Agency in 1965 
when they tried to counter the movement against the Warren Commission and the JFK assassination of Oswald, killing them all by themselves. So they were the one that came up with this conspiracy theory. Theorists, that's, that was, they were the ones that coined the line, the CIA did. So as far as a conspiracy is concerned, that just means that one, that means that more than one person did something or more than one person was involved with something. So do you really think that like a, a mass assassination of President Kennedy could be pulled off by one guy? Or how about the guy that killed Martin Luther King, James Earl Ray? I mean, he was just a, a little cheap uh, two-bit convict and he made all the way to Heathrow he made it all the way to, to London. He was traveling all throughout throughout Europe. I mean, where do you get that kind of money? He's a small-time crook. And, 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 and when it comes time to put him on trial, they put him on trial all by himself. And, you know, they said it was a lone nut and a lone killer and everything like that. And that didn't make any sense at all. I think in my personal – I know I'm getting off on here, but in my personal opinion, I think that, that all three um, King – Kennedy and Kennedy were all killed by military intelligence and that two of the people, two of the shooters were wearing uniforms. And the reason why I say wearing uniforms is that you're not going to get close to somebody with a gun unless you've got a uniform. Okay. So that's how they got close to Bobby Kennedy. That guy um, got up right behind him and shot him in the back of the head, the security guard, Eugene yeah. L. Caesar. He just died. He just died four or five months ago. Okay. But yeah, he shot him in the abs. I mean, I mean, I would stake my life on that. That Eugene Hale Caesar shot Kennedy in the back of the head. Stake my life on it. Because we know when Kennedy was laying there on the floor, there was a clip on, a black clip on ties sitting next to his, laying next to his body as he, as he looked up with his eyes open. That black, that black clip on tie was Eugene Hale Caesar's tie. When he, when, when, when he shot Kennedy, Kennedy turned around and grabbed his tie. It would have had to have been somebody close like that. So, yeah, that makes sense. Like, it couldn't have just been some they, – it could, they make it seem like somebody just, like, snuck in there somehow, but it had to be somebody. Well, no, Sir Hans, but Sir Hans – but here's what's up. They did the reenactment of the assassination four or five times. They did it in 1968, and they did it after that. But in each re reenactment, Sir Hans, Sir Hans, the alleged gunman who was firing bullets, um, he never got any closer to four to five feet of the front of Kennedy, yet the bullet wounds, the bullet that killed Kennedy – there are, I saw Thomas Taguchi's coroner's report, and there is gunpowder on Kennedy's shirt collar, and there's gunpowder on Kennedy's neck. So that means the gun was fired within maybe three to four inches of his neck. So three to four inches and three to four feet, we're talking a big difference. In other words, three to four inches in the back, and three to four, three to four feet from the front where Sir Han was. So it's sort of, all this stuff, it's, 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 incredible. it's incredible that they would push this stuff on us and try to believe, make, make you try to believe it. But for the most part, you know, like 9-11, people believe that. The 9-11 thing, the first two buildings, I'm not saying they weren't hit by, by, build, by planes, but that third building, Building 7, it came down, and that was the most, one of the most, most beautiful jobs of controlled demolition I've ever seen in my life. <clears throat> and when I say that, I say that because I'm a Las Vegan, per se, because I used to commute to Vegas for like almost 15 years every Saturday to do my show at the Imperial Palace Hotel. So a couple times we went to implosion parties, I didn't know where I was inhaling dust and all that kind of shit. If I knew that, I probably wouldn't have went. But um, <clears throat> we went to an implosion party at the the uh, Aladdin Hotel. We saw that be blown up. That king came down just like Building 7 did. Um, and then they did the uh, the dunes. And the dunes came down just like Building 7 and just like the other buildings went into. <clears throat> what I mean is, if you can, if the building's going to come down, where are all the computers? Where are all this? Where are, where are all the chairs? Where are all the desks? You know what I'm saying? Where did, where did this stuff come? If it's just a fire, all the stuff would have just burned. Yeah. 
No, that, that it makes a lot of sense. Like I, that is fishy. I think most people think that one's fishy. I don't think you're alone in that. I don't think we know exactly what happened because I mean we're never going to know 100. percent But I think everybody or the vast majority of people think eh, something sounds a little off about that one. <laughs> you know, yeah, so. well, the, here's what they knew: the building was going to come down. This was the building that housed Mary Giuliani's uh security secret office they had a floor so they evacuated that whole building how did they know that building was going to come down i mean why how why would that building come down it wasn't hit with anything i mean think about that jack i mean i'm going to knock down the house across the street from where you live i'm going to make the i'm going to knock the house two houses down i'm going to knock those two houses down and guess what zach the house a block away is going to fall mm. yeah exactly hmm you know, so what's, I mean, mm. <laughs> no, that's you, the no, best way I can describe you make it. a good point for sure. Um, do you, what about like, do you believe in the reptilian shapeshifters or the Illuminati or I anything like that? <laughs> I don't know any, I, I don't, I don't delve, I don't delve into any of that stuff. The reptilian, because I don't so, know anything, I don't know anything, I don't know anything about that. You're talking Greek to me, and I have no idea what you're talking about. Some have theorized that somebody like James Carville is like a reptilian shapeshifter who hasn't fully shifted shape, you know? <laughs> oh, my God. You can't see that. I mean, next, next subject. <laughs> I was going to tell you, you've mentioned like a target. You've talked about going off on a tangent a few times, and we actually encourage that on this show. The show is made for the, the tangents, you know? Okay. So, all right. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. I appreciate the opportunity. Well, I appreciate I pre- appreciate you coming on. Uh, what was your what's your best memory in boxing? Like that you can winning my winning my first Golden Glove championship. Oh yeah, that must have been awesome to win. Well, what? they didn't know. Here's what's up. Every listen, the dude I was fighting was six foot one and a half. His name was Keith Rucker. He was eight and zero with seven knockouts. He was knocking everybody out and. You know, and I had put some guy, I had knocked some guy out the night before, really brutal knockout, one punch knockout, but it wasn't because like a punch, it was because he couldn't take one. Um, but it set up this match between me and the undefeated Rucker and the promoter, Don Chargan, um, and all these different promoters, they sent, they sent guys down to watch him, you know? Oh, yeah. And so my, the- yeah, my, yeah, my mother, t- my mother told me, she goes, you know, she goes, I think that I think that um somebody told me Don Chargin's here. I said, really, Don Chargin's here? Because yeah. I said, no, nah, I don't think so. Anyway, so then I get the word from Chris that it wasn't Don Chargin, but it was Don Chargin's boy, and that he was here to watch the other guy. Oh wow, that makes sense. Exactly. This was so, this was so this, they were. This is two weeks. This is it was two weeks before the Bobby Chacon Bazooka Lamon third fight in, in, in December twelfth, I think. In 1982, in Sacramento, California, it was like December the second, December third, something like that. So they sent, they sent, these, they sent all these, all these promoters, the the Olympic and the, the former Olympic people. All these, there was like seven or eight different professional professional promoters there. All they all wanted to look at this guy Keith Rucker because they thought he was going to be the next Tommy Hearns, right? Well, 12 seconds into the fight, I was standing over and telling them, "Get up, MF." Okay, so 12 <laughs> seconds. In 12 seconds, he was down. And then you know what? He got up shaking his head like he believed me at that point. You know what I'm saying? He didn't believe me. He said, I said, I'm going to kill you. And he was going, yeah, yeah, he wasn't believing it. 12 seconds into it, he believed it. And he fought for his life for the rest of the, the, rest of the fight. I ended up winning. But that, oh, wow. He never fought again. I broke a cheekbone of his. Um, he never fought again. 
And Don Charger and those guys invited me to the Bazooka Limon um, Bobby Chacon fight. I sat in the front row. I was their guy. They wanted me to turn pro, and I told them, kiss my <laughs> you weren't interested. What what made you not interested in turning pro? Who wants to turn pro? You think I want to talk funny? Yeah, that's true. There's actually, a lot of head. Do you, actually, do you actually do you actually think that I could be? You actually think I could run stuff off if I had to turn professional or fight any longer than I did? Come on, man. Be serious. I know. I yeah. know fighters can't. I know fighters can't do their ABCs. Yeah, it definitely it definitely can take a, a large toll, and I think it's almost like you just never know too, like how your no, body's no. gonna respond, you know? No, like no. some it's, people. You, you, I think. Go on. I was gonna say some people seem to to come out of it like with more of their faculties than others, for sure, you know. Well, I think that's luck. I think that's um, yeah, it's just luck. <laughs> me, me, I think it's medical. I think it's medical luck for to an extent, and you just get lucky. Um, yeah. I also think that you know, also think that skill and defense has a little bit to do with it. Residual, the I mean, we're talking about you know, if you take punishment for a long time, you know, things probably not going to be good. It probably is not good to take punishment for a short amount of time. But Guys take punishment and they get to the point where they try to build themselves up to be a contender. They try to get a title shot. So they get the title shot and they fight for the title and they lose because they're not that good. Okay. So they lose. So then they continue to fight in the hopes of getting another title shot or to getting another payday, another big payday because they're professional fighters. And first and foremost, they're fighting for money. They're not fighting for championships. They're fighting for money. They're fighting to, to feed themselves. So yeah. you get guys, you get guys that are, that are have lost the big one and yet they want to do more they want to do more they want to do more and those are the guys that i think they end up getting um punished by the game to an extent because you just can't you just can't take ass whoopers for years and years and years and continue to um to uh be able to articulate your thoughts yeah that makes a lot of sense who who are your favorite fighters of all time Roberto i'm sure Durant. you have yeah I knew, but Without I was trying to let the listeners know. Yeah, that, I mean, no, no, it's no doubt in my mind. Anybody that can fight at 135 pounds and go up and and, and almost and, and he was beating Marvin Hagler after 12 rounds. Listen, one he was. Be- I'll say it again. Said, he was beating one of the greatest middleweights of all time after 12 rounds. He was beating him. If it had been a 12 round fight, he'd have won. But Maybe the best rounds. middleweight, right? Possibly. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Who knows? But 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 Duran got tired. He was a little light. He was a 135 pound guy. And anybody that does combat sports, let me tell you, two things. There's two things that that, that size matters in: combat sports and pornography. Okay. Outside of that, size don't matter too much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think the you know the like a casual observer doesn't really realize that. Like five pounds even makes a massive difference when you're talking about getting punched or punching someone. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I think the, the the telltale sign was when I when I was cocky at 139 pounds. I think I won two or three Golden Glove championships, and I said, well, you know, I've done everything I can at 139. Let me move up to 147 plus. You know, get, making 139 is a little bit tough. I remember my mother said to me. Yeah, why not? Why should we have to strain to make the weight? Yeah, because she was my dietitian, okay? Man. So I guess she got her off the hook a little bit because she used to specialize <laughs> in, in broccoli with broccoli with spaghetti sauce, okay? And she came up with all these little, little uh, Kool-Aid ice cubes. I mean, she yeah. came up with all kinds of – I mean, this was stuff that kept – this was stuff that kept me going, man. I mean, you're talking about, like, 
like eating nuts and bolts. Sometimes when you had to make weight, sometimes you'd be down, you would eat for a day and a half. Yeah. You got to like you know? fast. Oh, yeah. Cut all that weight. Yeah. Fast. Fast ain't the word for it. But back to the best boxer. I think Duran was the best. Um, the fastest was probably Ray Leonard. Um, I ran with most of these guys, jogged with them. And I think that nobody, I don't think there's ever been a better athlete in boxing than Sugar Ray than Ray Charles Leonard ever. Yeah, I think Roy Jones is one that's up there, but yeah, like it's just in yeah. terms of pure athleticism, you know. And when when I, when I think of Roy Jones, I think of the the, the Letterbet fight. Okay, you know what Dennis well, Letterbet is? <laughs> yeah, I mean, chin isn't part of athleticism, though. <laughs> no, no, but 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 Roy almost got killed. And that referee Steve Smoger was reading the newspaper there. I mean, it's like it was like a new like the referee had the newspaper like. He's reading the second page. Like, he wasn't even paying attention to the fight, man. And Roy took that last shot, you know. Uh, I hope Roy, I, I wish Roy, I wish, yeah, I wish Roy the best, man. Steve Smoker, let me hear some Steve Smoker story. He fights go. Um, yeah, those, yeah, that's why they brought him along, man. So, um, I, uh, I do, um, he was a judge in, 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 in Pennsylvania. And I found out that he was brought up on these charges and he, and, and, and they, they took him off the bench. So I wrote, I think I was doing ringtalk.com or fighters.com back to 25, some many years ago. Anyway, so I put him on the spot. I said, listen, if the guy, if the guy's not, I think it was something to do with bias towards the defendants. That's what it was. He was charged. In other words, if a guy would come in with a, um, a charge, he would add to the bail. In other words, the standard bail would be like $300. He'd make a 500. If it was 5,000, he'd make it 7,000. He was just an asshole of a judge, seed smoker, okay? Just a control freak. So they threw him off the bench in, in, in Pennsylvania. So I said, if they threw him off the bench in Pennsylvania, why should he be involved in, in judging and officiating professional boxing matches? Yeah, I mean, you make a point. I like, like, he does, when he refs, you usually are guaranteed a war, but that's probably not best for fighter safety. <laughs> like, he, he, lets, he lets the fights go too long, you know? Well, that's 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 why listen, that's why promoters went and got him, Holmes. That's why they went and got him. Because one more bang for the buck, huh? No, no, they, they got they got a star and they figured there might something something might go wrong and you know, he'll let it go. Yeah, if he get if they get hurt, huh? Yeah, if they that get hurt, sense. he'll let it go. Yeah, he'll let it go. Yeah. Yeah. Um who who do you, who would you say who's like your some of your least favorite fighters? <laughs> you know? I know you got you. I don't. I, I don't think that. I don't think. I, I think John Ruiz wasn't one of my favorite guys. I think. I think uh, Andy Ruiz is probably the, the my most, the most probably the most despicable human oh, being has ever put on a pair of boxing gloves. You know, um, I've never in my life had really stone cold detest for anybody. But um, if Andy, if Andy Ruiz, Anti Ruiz is how I, that's my name with him, Anti Ruiz. But if he was on fire. And they and I had to piss on him to put him out or throw gasoline on him. You know what I'm doing, right? Oh man, not well, not not uh, using it any. <laughs> I'm throwing Urine, gasoline right? on him. I'm <laughs> yeah. throwing gas. On him. I mean, that's just the way that I want to burn him. I think that he's a disgrace to the fight game. And plus, you know what cracks me up is that the Mexican people didn't get on his ass for showing up at like he showed up to camp 317 pounds. He got down to 283. He showed up at 317, and the Mexican people didn't say anything, man. If Chavez showed up at a fight 50, 60, 70 pounds overweight, they'd be they'd be ripping him to the end of the world. Yeah, it's different when it's heavyweights, and plus he, I mean, it's not like he went into the first fight in like 
in what looked like tremendous shape. You know what I mean? So I think people that's probably why people weren't as worried. But yeah, I mean, he I, I don't know if I've seen anyone blow an opportunity more than he did. <laughs> mm, Buster Douglas, Hasin Rahman. I can go like this. There are guys that pull off the upset. Hasin Rahman upsetting Lennox Lewis in South Africa. Um, after Lennox spent all his time filming Ocean's 11 or Ocean's 12 instead of training. And then, of course, Mike Tyson takes on Buster Douglas over the meltdown of Mike Tyson in 1990, the Tokyo meltdown. 40 to 1 underdog is, is Buster Douglas. Buster comes in with a game plan. He isn't scared for the first time in his life. And Mike, you know, he starts, he puts a box, he puts a box lesson on Mike. Then he drops Mike and has Mike looking for his. I mean, that, that, that beat down of Mike Tyson, I think it could be, it could be best described. In the way that Jim Lampley brought, uh, said it, and, and I think that Larry Merchant brought this up a couple weeks ago, he says, quote, Mike Tyson has been knocked out. That's, all <laughs> you, that, that's it. Yeah, sometimes the simplest calls are the best, huh? Without sometimes a doubt. The, yeah, I'm, I'm, so. a, I'm, I'm a big fan of, a, I'm a big fan of, uh, you know, I, I like doing TV broadcasts by myself. I mean, a lot of the international fights it did, I, I called the uh, David II Ike Bayabuchi fight was probably the greatest heavyweight fight in history in Sacramento, California. It wasn't heavy. Yeah. It went 12 rounds. But I think that was the greatest heavyweight fight that I've ever seen going back and forth where guys didn't get killed. Um, so I got to call some good fights. I told, called the Tommy Morris and Razor Ruddick fight. I called some of Ray Leonard's fights. called a couple of Camacho fights. So, you know, um, televising fights... It, it gave me some some insight in, into these guys, and for the most part, they're just like us. They're just they're flawed human beings. You know what I'm saying? That's what we all are. That's just some of us have greater flaws than others. That's all. Is that a good way to describe people? Yeah, I'd say so. And I'd say like I, I've noticed, and it makes sense. I feel like anybody who actually has boxed before has like a certain level of respect for people that that do box. So you're you're always gonna you know at the end of the day it's like they're they are putting their life on the line to an extent you know so there's always well, I that. Don't, I don't use the word bum anymore. I used to use the word I used, I, I uh, no you know because listen um it takes you have to be a little bit indifferent to, to just just to to the normal way of life to get into something where somebody's gonna hit you. Okay, I mean, somebody's going to hit you. Whether you're going to hit them or not, it's just a different story. What I'm trying to say is, but if somebody's going to hit you, they're they're the game. The object of this game is the, somebody's going to hit you. So it's 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 a little um, mind-boggling that you get into it. It's a different. It takes a different individual to do it. Um, the biggest, toughest guys I know couldn't do it. They just couldn't. Um, some I, I don't I don't know what to say. Size has nothing to do with your ability to fight. Yeah, def- definitely. I mean, at the end of the day, it's like it, it does come down to just a lot of will and heart and determination. Huh? Hey, not, yeah, speaking, speaking of at the end of the day, your boy John Jones got arrested today. <laughs> I I've, I heard about that, man. Yeah, I, like everything's was, shut down. How do you get <laughs> how, how do you get a gun? How do you get a gun? What are you sitting doing with a gun and passed out with a gun between your legs after firing all kinds of shots and you're drunk as a skunk? Not a good thing, man. What's this? What's this thing with with black guys and gun? How about that Earl Spence guy? He tosses, he turns that car over at 95 miles per hour in Fort Worth or wherever it was about five six months ago, and he gets tossed out of the car at 95 miles per hour, which I think he's damaged goods. 
But um, he had a $10,000 handgun in the car with him. What what compels somebody to spend ten grand on a gun? What compels somebody to want to have a gun? I mean, is it the old story where you can take the, the ghetto out the boy, but you can't you can take the boy out of the ghetto, but you can't take the ghetto out of the boy? Ah, man, I, well, you know better than anyone. Like people who get into boxing, like a lot of times they're not prepared for like the no, the life that no, comes with it. No, yeah. no, no, here's what's up. I don't know about about prepared for it or not. I just know that <laughs> that a lot of these guys are just not economically economically um. Uh, sound to begin with. Yeah. So, so money is a new thing to them. And, yeah, it's like and they're not the most educated guys in the world. But still, he was loaded either on cocaine or blow because he was cited for driving under the influence. And they still haven't said what 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 it was, was whether it was I alcohol. I think his thing is alcohol, yeah. Okay, well, anyway, if, he tossed the, if he tossed the car in alcohol, the bottom line is, if you, I don't know if you saw that film, but he got tossed out of the car at 95 miles an hour. And then the yeah, film with him afterwards. lucky to be alive. Book, but the booking pictures of him, be, him being booked for the DWI in the in his right eye, there's definite cap, there's definite neurological damage. You can see the, there's blood. The eye has been bleeding. I mean, this wasn't he didn't walk away from this without any bruises or anything like that. His eye was bleeding, so that meant there was some neurological damage of some kind. So what I'm trying to tell you is, if you can get me a fight with Earl Spence, I'll come back. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I hope he'll be all right, but he's lucky to be alive he after that. He ain't gonna be all right, man. No, you kidding? Any listen, any welterweight in the world should be jumping up, up and down right now at his front door, calling his mama a hoe, doing anything he can to get that fight. I mean, because Spence, listen, I'm I'm not guaranteeing you he's damaged goods, but there's a damn good chance he's damaged goods, and this is how you get a guy. You get a guy that goes through training camp, they spoil him, he goes through training camp, they don't have really tough, no really tough sparring, he doesn't get any wars, isn't it? And then you clock him in that first round, or you hit him with an elbow, or you do something, in other words, you do something yeah. to impose, you impose some fear into him, and guess what? Everything changes. Oh, yeah, def- definitely. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing is like he might I'm sure he'll still be able to punch and all that and and uh, and and everything else. But I don't know how well he's going to be able to take a punch. I think that's the big question, right? It's not taking it. It's reacting to it. It's not yeah. taking it. It's reacting to it. I, it's in other words, you know, you can prepare yourself. And here comes a punch. Now, here's a funny thing about a punch. Ben Zachary, um, I fought 52 fights, went 38 and 14. Um, every the four, three, I think the four times I got knocked down, I never saw the punch. Yeah, that's the ones, Ever. the ones you don't see do the most yeah, damage. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I mean, as far as it, I mean, I remember fighting this one killer and he, and he, and he threw a right hand. And I said, Oh my god, here it comes, and the boom, it just ate up my chin, you know what I'm saying? But, but I saw it coming, so you could sort of like some way you can mentally prepare yourself for it, but those shots you don't see, man. Good Lord. Yeah, that's that's definitely the most dangerous ones. <laughs> good Lord. That's all I'm saying is good Lord. What, what, uh, who, who would you say is uh, or is overrated as a fighter and who's underrated? Um, well, I think guys like Adrian Broner are overrated. I mean, they call themselves multi-division champions, this and that, and all their real, you know, they're, they're, they were they were decently gifted amateur fighters who did fight some pretty decent pro fights, but that was a long time ago. So I think Broner's probably overrated. As far as the current heavyweight division is concerned, um, there's really only Tyson Fury, and I don't know if you know about it, but Tyson Fury or not, but he he, uh, he masturbates seven times a day. 
That's what he said to get ready for the fight. Apparently yeah, it worked. That's what he said. Yeah, really, apparently it worked. So kept the testosterone levels up. Just then. I thought if he jacked off, it dropped your testosterone levels, man. So it shows you how much I know. Maybe you just didn't do it enough. You had to do seven, seven times? times? <laughs> Holy shit. I don't even know what how you doing? do that, honestly. Uh, hey, a lot of porn. <laughs> Probably. A lot of porn. <laughs> A lot of porn. That's all I can say. Tyson Fury's got his little you porn thing going on his phone. <laughs> what, what speaking, is... of Tyson, speaking of Tyson Fury, um, I think head, he's head and shoulders above above any other heavyweight in the world. I, I don't think Joshua comes close to him, and and you know he beat Wilder. I mean they fought they fought seventeen rounds, right? And Walt and, and, and they fought nineteen rounds, and Wilder won two of the nineteen rounds. So why would you think? After the first fight, that Wilder had a chance in the second fight. You know, I th- I started to think he had a chance at first, and then I pulled my pulled got my common sense came to me, man. Me and Larry Murchison said we both are going with Fury. And, yeah, but you know, he'll always have a puncher's chance, you know, Wilder. But that's uh, that's about it with Fury now, I think. Well, yeah, but, gonna... but he can't see. Here's what's up though. But but he couldn't. Is here. This is what I couldn't understand. Is that he couldn't fight going backwards? See, in other words, if you were to push me back, I and I had that big right hand, I would push that right foot back and then and launch off the foot. I would launch off that foot. In other words, that foot would be, would be repelling. It would be propelling that right hand. You know what I'm saying? And he couldn't do. Once you pushed him back, he couldn't do anything. Yeah, that was that w- one of the most surprising things I think is like once the fight got dirty. You would have thought that the way Wilder's style and everything, you would have thought he would have been able to capitalize on that more. No, you thought a no, no, you thought a black man was going to out ghetto. No, no, Tyson Fury. I didn't say that. Stone cold. He's a stone cold ghetto gangster, man. Tyson Fury. He is the Irish um, street gang dude. I mean, he's a king of the gypsies. This and that. These gypsies fought each other when they were growing up. They didn't live in houses. They drove around in Europe, living in mobile homes. Did you, you know anything? You know anything about the background of this guy? It's not like he's he's um he's always living oh, in a yeah. house. Oh yeah, I know that. I was just saying, like with Wilder, he's like the one of the hardest punchers ever, right? And like he throws from these wild angles, and you just think like that that no. could potentially work if it gets dirty, but it, it did, okay. not, <laughs> did not. Okay, get... I'll ask I'll ask you like this. All right, so so tell me who was impressive that Deontay who who. Who would you consider the impressive that Deontay Wilder beat? Most impressive was probably Ortiz. I know everybody says he's uh, old, but he's a pretty good player. No, he, no, he, he, no. Luis Ortiz, he isn't old. He isn't old. He's collecting um, uh, Medicare, Social Security. <laughs> That's how old he is. I mean, the guy's older <laughs> than me. The guy's older than me. Let me tell you about these Cuban guys. When um, in the '90s, Carol Smith was front of some promoting some Cubans. In Miami Beach, and I was doing some of the work with down there with them. They all lied about their age, and most of them drank. And that's not a stereotype; that's the truth. And 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 they were so in the 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 kid in the candy shop type of thing. If you gave them if you gave them ten bucks, um, they spent it on shit. And they they I mean they love McDonald's stuff that they couldn't get they couldn't get freely in, in Cuba. They were getting freely in the United States, so you couldn't make these guys into fighters. Feel me? Yeah. Yeah, I get what you're saying. It's it's definitely a different word. I would say that's probably the most uh, impressive. There's a, I think I thought he beat a couple of decent names, you know, I, like I cool. the the division. I mean, like Spilka was was a pretty good is a pretty good fighter. Um, okay. 
I mean, Brazil isn't bad. He beats. He can beat a lot of these guys that are out there. All right, um, all right. Could 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 any of those guys? Could any of those guys be contenders in the seventies? Um, I don't think. They, I mean, probably they, like any of those guys Ortiz, be contenders around Mike Tyson Mike Mike Tyson's era? Probably not, man. Maybe How Ortiz, but nobody. Yeah, I think Ortiz, and there's probably a couple, you know. But yeah, the out of the forty something fights he has, like yeah, not a lot of them are are going to be competitors he, in that. He fought a guy, a guy. He fought a lot of guys like Zach, Zachary, and Pedro, and that's what happened. He fought about a hobos. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, but. But to be fair, I mean, there aren't a lot of elite fighters in the division right now, yeah, you know. Are, but you know, say what you want, but he he was he, he isn't a, he he knows little about boxing. He 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 can throw the one punch, the one hand. That's all he can do. He, he has nothing else. He has no footwork. He has no jab. Um, yeah. And he and listen, and he got punked out. He got knocked down with a body shot. Good lord, man! When's the last time you saw a heavyweight, let alone a heavyweight champion, get knocked down with a body shot? Yeah, that was a de- that was a pretty demoralizing uh, loss, I would say. I'm punking you out, man. And then, what did Wilder say? I want to do it again. What's he want? Yeah, you know, no. Wilder don't want to do it again. What he wants to do is he wants to get in. He wants to get in between the negotiations between between Tyson Fury and uh, Anthony Joshua. In other words, Joshua and Fury want to do this big fight. Well, they want to do this big fight. It's going to make X amount of dollars. They'll give Wilder A, B, or C to step by, step aside. Yeah, That's that makes this, sense. This is all negotiating for. Yeah, and and he he he's he has a better chance against Anthony Joshua for sure. So if like if he if Wilder were to fight Joshua, I mean right now it sounds like a bad pick, but I still think he could beat Anthony Joshua because all it all it would take is him just connecting with that bomb, you know, <laughs> at some point. Well, it doesn't look like he does too well against bigger guys, but guys, you know what I'm saying. In other words, you know he's listen when you're six foot seven. And you're black, and you've been coming. You come out of Mobile, Alabama, or some you know the boxing mecca that it isn't. Okay, um, you are been you have never lost a fight basically in your life. You're an undefeated pro. You're fighting all these guys like Zachary and Pedro and this and that, and then you fight a few guys in between and okay. But you're fighting basically guys that are smaller than you because you're six foot seven. All of a sudden, you get into a fight with the guys your size or bigger, and he kicks a snot out of you not once but twice. Coincidence? I don't think so. Like I said earlier. Size matters in two things: combat sports and pornography. <laughs> well, th- well. To be fair, though, I, I would. Don't you think that Tyson Fury's been kind of overrated or underrated throughout his career? Like no, because was... I mean, Emmanuel Stewart said he was he was the next great heavyweight. Emmanuel knows because Emmanuel controlled heavyweights. We controlled Lennox Lewis and he controlled Vladimir Klitschko. So he Emmanuel had his had 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 the heavyweight champion for most of the past twenty five years. Yeah, but by by the odds, I believe he was like the underdog against Wilder and Klitschko, and he beat both uh, of them. I true, believe he was a so true, but, but that's but, why I say but, he was a but, little underrated. But going in against going against Vladimir Klitschko was a 1996 Olympic gold medal, so considered not over the hill yet. You know what I'm saying? So I can yeah. see him being under, being seen, being an underdog there. And then the the Wilder fight, you know, everybody was caught up on this Wilder hype. In fact, you know, everybody bet Wilder in the rematch. Nobody bet Tyson Fury. The Las Vegas guys made out like bandits. <laughs> and yeah, and it really, I mean, it really wasn't even close either, honestly. No, it was close during the referee's instructions. <laughs> and like the first, the first like two rounds were competitive, right? No, and then after that... I, listen, 
I don't think this this is the way I put it. He never won a minute. Yeah, like it. He it never started won, slow. He, he never, as he never he, but he never won. Zachary, can you name a minute of the fight in which he controlled an entire sixty seconds? No. No, yeah, the, I'm not disagree with you. I'm I'm just saying like the first two the first two rounds like it wasn't really like either was imposing their will all that much, and then like we we know what happened in the third round, and then from there it just spiraled downhill like quick. <laughs> Yeah, couldn't, happen, so. couldn't happen to a cockier guy. And the fact that he went after Mark Breland and assailed Mark Breland um, for throwing in the towel, I thought was was a bit off the wall. But then again, you know, Mark obviously failed as a trainer miserably because the guy couldn't fight going backwards. He couldn't put his foot back foot back and pivot off the foot. He couldn't jab. He, I mean, come on, man, you're six foot seven. You should be able to. I mean, if I was six foot seven, Zach, you heard me say this a long time ago. If I was six foot seven, I, I still wouldn't lose a fight. Yeah. Do you, how do you think it, like, let's say Wilder had a different trainer, like early on, like somebody that maybe prepared him better. How do you think he would do like, uh, as I, opposed I don't know, to but he, he would have had a better chance. If he had a manual story, we had a better chance. See, Emmanuel yeah. didn't go, Emmanuel, Emmanuel didn't go after him. And I wondered why that, you know, Emmanuel didn't seem to be too, didn't seem to be all that enthralled with Deontay. Well, he mentioned him a couple of times, but it wasn't like, you know, I wouldn't mind training this guy. You know what I'm saying? It was never that. I think he could have turned him into something like, I think he definitely would have been a lot better if he were trained by Emmanuel. Sure. You know? well, and, and man, listen, Emmanuel, Emmanuel's a good guy. Emmanuel, I miss Emmanuel. Do on in 2012 now. It's been almost eight years. Um, I miss him. We had a, I had a radio show a couple weeks ago. It was all dedicated to him. Um, I cried at the end. It was pretty touching. I just, I just broke up at the end. I held, I held it together. Until the last close of the show, in the last minute and a half, I was in, I was uh, an emotional basket case. Uh, well, I mean, it's understandable. Like he's one of the most important figures in in boxing, I'd say. No, he <laughs> like, was important. He was important in my life. Yeah. Well, he, I know I you mean, knew I, him I, well. You I, know. St- I stayed with. I mean, I mean, I'll tell tell you a little story right now. He lives on the street in Detroit. Where the Supremes used to live, Diana Ross and the Supremes, a singing group. So there were the three houses where the Supremes lived, and right across from Emmanuel's house was uh was Diana Ross's house. So I'll tell you two quick stories about that. First time, um, I, I, I went, first time I stayed at Emmanuel's house, I used to go smoke weed on his doorstep. I wouldn't smoke weed in the house, so I go smoke weed on the doorstep, and it's snowing the whole night. You are so I'm sitting there smoking a joint on his doorstep in Detroit, this rich rich neighbor in Detroit. And uh, I didn't think nothing of it. I, you know, flicked the thing into the grass and the snow, and I went back in the house. So I went up the stairs, and I hear a man, you off the room to him, hey, Pedro, come here. Oh, man, fuck, he busted me. How the fuck did he know? You know, so I walk in the house, he goes, hey, man, don't you know how to share? <laughs> okay. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, and, and, then, and then I was like, anyway, then, so I didn't know how to react to that. And then the, um, the other Emmanuel Stewart story about his house is that as um, Diana Ross lived across the street, but when Diana made it big, really, really big, she moved to Hollywood. She sold the house, and she sold the house to to uh, to Zachary's good friend Leon Spinks. And Leon's in bad health right now, so I'm not trying to make light of his health or anything like that. But anyway, so she sold, so Diana Ross sold the house to Leon Spinks. So Leon is living across the street from Emmanuel. So Emmanuel and his wife were home. And I guess it was about, Manu said it was about 6.30, 7 o'clock at night. And he hears all this screaming. 
And it's not like somebody's getting killed. Somebody's dying. Ah! Ah! And you're bang, bang, bang. And the man who can't figure this shit out. So Amanda goes and grabs his gun. He tells the lady, I'm going across the street. Call the police. And she goes, you ain't. So she grabs the gun out of Amanda's house. Amanda's gun. You ain't taking that gun with you. So she snatched the gun back from him. So Amanda goes across the street to Leon's house. And nobody's answering the front door. So he goes around to the back door through a gate and through the backyard. And he peeks in through the back, through the, um, through the back door window, the back door, the window in the back door. And there's Leon Spinks laying on the floor, a bloody mess. And his 270 pounds, 275 pound wife is sitting on his chest. Okay. But she's not only sitting on his chest, she's beating him with a steel frying pan. Oh, wow. All right. <laughs> so anyway, she's beating him and beating him. So Emmanuel opens the door. He goes, hey, hey, stop it. She goes, hey, MF, you want some of this shit? End the word. <laughs> did, you catch, did you did you catch that? Yeah. What did what did Emmanuel say to that? <laughs> he left. <laughs> he didn't want any of that. Didn't want none I don't of blame that. him. I don't didn't blame him. Didn't want none of that. He goes, man, those because those, those those big fat bras would have kicked my ass too. Oh man, well, the, know, so, if, the frying so, pan. <laughs> yeah, a frying look one of them little small frying pans. You know what I'm talking about? Steel skittles, steel skillets, cast iron, you know, made cast iron, exactly. But it wasn't the big <laughs> one. Emmanuel knew it exactly. Emmanuel, it was a small one. You're like, oh man. So that seems worse. Yeah, more Leon velocity behind that. <laughs> exactly. And Leon's bleeding, man. He's laying on the floor. And, and her girlfriend and, and, and Mrs. Spinks were kicking his ass, man. She goes, hey, you want some of this? You want some of this N-word? And the man goes, no, I don't think so. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> like I said, I, I can't blame him for that one. <laughs> no, and now Leon's got advanced prostate cancer. We wish him the very best in his, his future. Oh yeah, definitely. We yeah, we send positive energy his way for sure. And the be, one of the best ones, one of the best Leon Spink stories though was he was doing a publicity tour for the Ali rematch, and I think they were in like, we'll say like Albany, New York. Okay, so he's in, he they, they checked into a hotel room, so he couldn't find his teeth in the morning. Couldn't find his teeth, so he had to go on to Detroit or wherever they went. The next city didn't have those teeth. So I found out the uh, the maid found his teeth his teeth under the bed. Oh wow! Yeah, well, you know that's things he's found. Or or the time how about or how about your buddy Oliver McCall had a one million dollar check in his sock, and when the police arrested him, they found a one million dollar check in his sock. <laughs> why why did he keep that in his sock? I don't know. I don't know. But he got arrested messing around with hookers. I guess that's why he put the one million dollar check in the sock because we want them hoes stealing his check. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta put that somewhere more secure. If I have like, I'm I'm getting like a safe or something. Like if you know if I'm getting checks like that. <laughs> and if I had a million dollar check, I'd have I'd have a bodyguard carrying that check with a with a, with a suitcase. Right? What in your sock, man? Well, this is what this goes back to what you said about like boxers not really, uh, you know, like just how they come into money like that, not really knowing what to do with it. Literally, sure, well, yeah. you know, boxers are not college educated, with the exception of James Bone Crusher Smith. I can't think of anybody with a college education. What about um, Mike Subway Lee? <laughs> I don't know. Does, does Remember he have that a Mike Lee, the, the, the guy who was on the subway ads when he had like 10 fights? <laughs> No, he was like a no yeah he was like a notre dame alum or whatever so i think he got he basically got the ads based on his uh you know they have a powerful alumni there so <laughs> he's on like a like you have i'm sure you've probably 
well, you've probably heard of Mike Lee, right? Or I don't know. No. He's not he's not super well known, so it's like yeah, it's a it's a tough I don't know, but but what I was saying is like he's he's on these commercials with like Michael Phelps and and Mike Trout and all this stuff and and you haven't even heard of him and you're like a boxing aficionado, so I always found that kind of funny like the whole Mike Lee thing. But he did have a college education, so that's one of the few that I can think of. <laughs> Listen, um, there are a lot of guys who'd be arrested for impersonating boxers. Yeah. Yeah, a ton of them, you know what I'm saying? So anyway, let's, let's wrap things up. What, what, what else do you want to talk about, my man? Talk to me. Well, I mean, I got I got so many more questions for you, but, you know. I, let's, you know, tell you what, run them off here quick. We'll try to wrap. We'll try to do a, uh, a, 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 what do they call that? Bing, 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 bing. Try to do it like that. Let's do it. Go. Okay, let's see, let's see what we got here. Um, what do you think people misunderstand about boxing the most? Uh, the residual effects. Okay, I'd, I'd agree with that. Um, let's see what else. I got a lot here, but I, I kind of went out of order. Who were your That's heroes cool. in life? Muhammad Ali was probably one of my biggest heroes before I met him, after I met him, and I became his boy. Um, yeah, without a doubt. What was, it, what was it like hanging out with Ali? Well, I he was 52 years old at the time. Um, his health wasn't great. His health wasn't bad. You know, he told me one day we were, we were doing public events in Macau and China together. <clears throat> I was his PR guy and a somewhat executive protection, a.k.a. bodyguard. And um, one day he didn't take his medicine and his hands were shaking. I said, champ, you're shaking a little bit. He goes, yeah, I didn't take my medicine this morning. I said, why not? He goes, because when I take it, I feel like I, feel like I don't feel good. Oh, it man. makes me feel slow. And yeah. You know, yeah. He goes, well, I'd rather shake. Isn't that a trip? That is, but it makes sense, like, if it just slows you down that much, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what what advice would you give my generation and the ones after me? Study history. You guys have failed to do that. You guys have failed miserably. I think that's one of the, the most telling failures of this current generation is that they have failed to, they have failed to learn from history. I think if, if, you, if, if they'd have been... If you'd have been history students, you learned about the 1918 Spanish flu. I don't think you'd be out there at the beach. Oh, yeah. Well, I, you know, from what I've seen, that's actually like uh, people slightly after my or before my generation who are mainly doing that. I think my generation's kind of taking it a little more seriously. I like to think. But, yeah, that's a good point. We definitely could study history more, I'd say. Um, are, are we witnessing the end of days? <laughs> I, I I don't know what we're witnessing right now. All I know is that I'm locked in my house and I'm told not to leave. And um, like I say, I mean, I've got some food. I've got some weed stashed away here. So I think I'm okay for a while. Or do you have the, you have the toilet paper? <laughs> um, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm a baby wipes guy. And for the most part, um, um, I'm a metrosexual. And that doesn't mean a, a gay guy that rides around on the buses a lot. Because that's what some listeners <laughs> sent me. I told some listener I was bragging about being a metrosexual, which means you like getting your hair done and your nails done and facials and that kind of good stuff. So I was bragging about being a metrosexual on the radio, and this lady sent me a letter. She said she was a lady, and she sent me a letter. She says, hey, is that metrosexual stuff? Does that mean you're a gay guy driving, riding around, picking up people on the buses in San Francisco? Anyway, no, it doesn't mean that. No, it doesn't it almost, mean that. It almost sounds like you, you actually fornicate with the buses themselves. Uh, but the bottom the, – hey, the bottom line is, um, 
I think everybody should be right now should just take a nice deep breath, sit back and relax. Uh, yeah, I've always, been, I, I've always been a proponent of medical marijuana, meaning that <clears throat> I've never smoked a joint and felt worse. Yeah, I, I mean, I I get where you're coming from. <laughs> I, I know, I know, I know, I know that that's probably you're not at liberty to talk about that right now. But I would just put it to you like this: um, the future, the future of the world, as far as medicine is concerned, is in that green plant. The CBDs, the cannabinol, this kind of stuff, the fighting pain, fighting anxiety, fighting um, uh, what's that epilepsy and all. I mean, all kinds of different stuff coming out of this little plant. Yeah. So I think so. And, and they just started with this stuff. And had they been, you know, in 1974, Nixon was told by the Food and, Food and Drug Administration to legalize marijuana. And he said, no, I can't do that. He said, no, you need to do it. He goes, it's better off people than booze. It's no, nah, nah, we can't do that. So what they did was they said for another 25, 30, 40, 50 years, you know, marijuana was taboo. Yeah. And, and it's, I mean, it still is to an extent, right? It's finally starting to break out of that, I feel like, Bro, but it's taken a you know, long I'm gonna time. Run, I'm going to run something by you. I ran two miles today. I did core work today. I'm 62 years old, okay? Um, none of my friends that don't smoke weed can do anything like I do. None of them. None wow. of them. None of them. And it's not from the weed, per se, but I would say it's a lot of it has to do with the CBDs. I have a good attitude. But the CBDs allow me to stretch, and they reduce the inflammation so I can run. You know, and I, I ran two quick miles, two two slow miles, eh? it's quick in, in the old man's mind, but um, two slow miles, and I did a lot of core work, and, you know, a lot of the guys in their 30s and 40s and 20s aren't doing that. So if you take care of yourself, I look at Larry Merchant. <clears throat> let, me leave, let me leave your listeners with this. Um, if you want to learn how to succeed in life, look at somebody that's successful in life. In other words, don't look at, if you got if you got like if you got three older brothers and all three of them are losers and drunks and this and that, probably not those are not the guys to look to for advice and guidance, okay? Find somebody. I was lucky in my life to find a couple of mentors early on in life. And um, then when I came into the boxing world in 1985, I met this guy by the name of Larry Merchant. A little short guy, had an attitude, I thought. Okay. Um, anyway, we became the best of friends. I go and visit him a few times a year down in LA. He's 89 years old right now. OK, he's in sharp. He's in, a, you know, and I hadn't been in a car with him in two years, Zach. So when I went down to Santa Monica with him last year and he started driving the car around. I was freaking out a little bit. You know what I'm saying? He's 89. Yeah. Anyway, but he, <laughs> parallel par- but he parallel parks better than you and me. Wow. So without the, ca- hey, without the camera, there ain't no, there ain't got no backup camera. Oh, man, those backup cameras are nice, though. I'm not going to yeah, lie. They sure are, man. <laughs> they are. That's real helpful. stuff, man. That's the stuff. You can't, every accident. Hey, when we were in the police department, they warned us. They said, if you go backwards, you're going to get in car accidents. Yeah. That's what they told us. And guess what? They were right. <laughs> I've gotten two car accidents backing up. Oh, yeah. It's, it's definitely dangerous. Like, you know, it's harder to see for sure. But with the backup camera, it makes it a lot easier. Yeah, that's pretty cool, man. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's nice. I I don't want, like, now I don't, it's like one of those things where it's like, I don't think I could go back to not having one now. (laughs) Mm, Interesting. It's it's too nice. Yeah. So, Zachary, I want to wish you continued success in your podcast here and continued success as a father. I heard Jasmine in the background there. I was just so jacked up and so proud of you. You know, know, I've always been behind you being the dad. You know that. So, I'm just absolutely, I'm ecstatic. When I heard her in the background, I said to myself, man, that's so cool. 
Uh, well, I'm, thank you. Thanks a lot for that. I mean, that's that's my biggest uh, pride in life. So, <laughs> you know, that's what I'm most proud of. So I, I appreciate that. And, and I try my best, you know, I, 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 every day I'm learning. So <laughs> that's all I can anyway, say. Listen, it's going to be a, it's a learning experience for both you guys for the, for the rest of your lives. You guys will learn. Anyway, yeah. you're lucky. You're lucky. She's sharp. and She's healthy, man. Yeah, we're we're both uh, girl dads, right? So, <laughs> you know the experience of that exactly. of uh, raising a daughter. So yeah, yeah, and exactly. I used to, and I want to say I used to listen to all the old recordings of of Ring Talk and just well done on all those. You know, you've been a mentor, and and I give you credit and respect for inspiring me down this radio path. Like it's oh, been goodness. a it's been a great and rewarding journey for me. You know, so. I, that's, I all you that's all because you're Jasmine's dad. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that definitely is my inspiration. So no, yeah. that's the only reason. Why, that's the only reason why I brought you along anyway. Say, you know, the guy's a bum, <laughs> but he's this Jasmine girl. She's got it going on. So we're gonna yeah. give him a shot. <laughs> that's fair enough. Well, I'll, I'll have to thank her for that. <laughs> uh, anyway, anything else, Zachary? That's that's really all I had. Did you have anything else that you wanted to tell the people or any questions for me? No, just continued success. If you need anything, you know you can call me. But I respect you and I admire you. And as I said, your most uh, important job right now is is being her dad. So you go do you go be her dad and, and do the best you can at that. Until next time, much love and respect. Yeah, much love and respect, man. Thanks for for everything. And yeah, I owe you a lot. So thanks for no, coming on. No, enough said. That, enough <laughs> said. Let's go take care of Jazz. All the best to you, Zach. I love you. All the best. Love you, too. Bye. KZRO Sports, 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 Sports. That's Z-P-O-R-T-Z, as you know. <laughs> uh, there's really not much still with the coronavirus. Uh, yeah, there's not much going on. Uh, I guess since we last chatted, uh, the Olympics are officially postponed. Uh, we'll, we, I don't think there's an official day on when those will start, but that was only a matter of time, right? I mean, I don't know what they were trying to hold on to it. But man, like it just didn't seem like if you're canceling all this other stuff that doesn't have as big of crowds as the Olympics, it seems like canceling the Olympics would be inevitable. Right. So (laughs) I don't know. Um, That's kind of seemed like obvious that that was going to happen. I think it's probably for the best. I mean, it's just it's, it's weird times right now. Honestly, it's been strange to see like. I don't know. It seems like things should should start to get back to normal, at least as much of normal as they can be by the end of the summer. But I guess we'll just see what happens. We we re- it's really pretty unpredictable. But I'm not surprised that the Olympics got pushed back. I'm actually surprised that it took that long, considering that everything else was like canceled or pushed back. You know. So uh, yeah, at the end of the day. Hopefully we can uh, resolve this sooner rather than rather than later. But as we were talking about, I don't know if sports is ever going to really fully be the same. It's going to take a while if it ever is the same. I just it's going to be weird to see people gathering in like eighty thousand 
groups of like 80,000 at football games in the fall. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I just don't know if that's going to happen. That just seems like kind of far off from that, but I, I guess we'll see. Uh, and speaking of that, Teddy Bridgewater went to the Carolina Panthers. So that's pretty cool. I hope he gets an opportunity. I feel like he's been kind of unlucky so far. He's he's never been bad. And he went 5-0 and last year as a starter for the Saints. So it's kind of surprising, you know. Uh, in other sports news, the Knicks owner James Dolan tests positive for coronavirus. So man, there's a lot of people that are that are catching that right now. Uh, I know James Dolan isn't one of the favorite people in the NBA, but at the same time, like obviously, I don't want anything bad to come of this for anyone. So hopefully, he can recover. Uh, you know, and hopeful. And I know that the um, the M- in the NBA, se- several NBA players have tested positive, including like Kevin Durant, Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell. So we'll see if anybody else tests positive. It seems like they locked everything. The NBA was really quick to lock everything down, and it seems like they kind of set the stage for the rest of the country, you know. Um, None of the other sports had locked down yet, and then the NBA was like, ah, and they kind of got ahead of it, I feel like. So I think they deserve credit for that, Um, and hopefully we can see a resolution to this season. I feel like we will, but there's just no way to really know. Uh, what's going to happen and on the uh, baseball was supposed to start this week and baseball hasn't started obviously so that's been another casualty of everything that's going on but yeah um i don't know i i i think that they're gonna have to shorten the baseball season i I really don't think they're gonna play out 162 games behind schedule like that i just think that's gonna be like way too time consuming to try to squeeze that into the end of the year i don't know it just doesn't seem possible so i think they're going to dramatically cut the number of games which is going to be interesting and then it might a lot of these sports like if they cut games and and all that if they end later than usual obviously it's going to affect the next season so that's going to be interesting to see um as far as like it, it just seems like it's going to be it's going to be really tough with the stadiums like now with the cuz the, they've warned about there being like a second or more waves of this virus coming like after we get through this initial one like a lot of people expect like since the virus doesn't survive in hot temperatures they expect it to kind of get wiped out in the summer but it could come back in the fall or something like that so it's like if we if it does and then we start and people go to these like sports events and just all types of people getting infected like i don't know man i personally am probably going to stay away from those for the rest of the year just me personally at least like i don't know about you guys it's not like i go to a lot of them anyway just cuz it's like i don't have that type of disposable income for that you know so I don't know. Or maybe I just value other things more than that. But yeah, I, I don't see myself going to a sports event for the rest of the year, most likely. Sadly. I mean, I'd like to, but it just doesn't seem smart right now. Maybe. It, it, I guess it, it really depends how everything plays out. But as of right now, I don't know if that would be a good idea. So yeah, uh, we'll see how everything plays out in the sports world. Um the only thing that seems like it's stayed on is like the UFC for whatever reason, they're just like, no, we're still going to hold these events. We're going to make it happen. And it's like, why are you doing this? No, everybody else is like, you know, not 
not continuing on, but the UFC is just stubborn with it. The UFC seems like one of the more um, right wing like sports organizations with like Dana White and all the and them. So <laughs> it's not necessarily super crazy, but it's not like super out of the realm of possibility to think that they would <laughs> try to fight this, but. They gotta be. They gotta do the smart thing, you know, and just keep everybody safe. And and other in bad news for the UFC, uh, John Jones, the light heavyweight champion, was arrested this week for ag- aggravated DWI and for using <laughs> negligent negligent use of a firearm. Uh, possession of an open container and driving without proof of insurance. Like, man, John Jones just can't get out of his own way. I don't know what's, I don't know what's going on. I, I mean, I, like he is arguably the best fighter ever. And for whatever reason, he just like can't get out of his own way. He just like steps all over himself every time. It's just like, man, you just keep hoping that he'll get it together. But then something like this happens. It just feels like it's just back to back with this guy. And like, I wish him the best, but I mean, he's, he's, uh, would he's like 32 now. So I'm just like, is he ever gonna like turn things around, man? But I mean, we'll see. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, I don't really have too much more on sports this week. Uh, but other than, I mean, I hope that I know the sports provide like a you know kind of an escape from reality for a lot of people. So I hope that people can get some type of sports back to to like get them through the day. You know, because it's there's not a lot going on right now. You turn on the sports stations and they're kind of doing what I'm doing on here. They're kind of biting my style of like random stream of consciousness. <laughs> so. Uh, hopefully they can get back to doing what they do because it's a little it's a little weird. I like it. I personally I prefer it. I'm like oh finally I'll have to hear about the the damn cowboys who I don't care about. Like no no offense to the cowboys fans out there, but it's like I don't need to hear about the cowboys every day, you know, or just whatever team. Like if I'm listening to the local markets like sports radio why would i want to hear i get i know the cowboys have a big fan base but like why would i want to hear about that every day and honestly like why do we even need to hear about football throughout the year like there's not a lot going on a lot of the year they've turned it into like this year-round thing for something that lasts like 20 weeks you know it's like it's silly (laughs) but um yeah so (laughs) I'm sure we'll have some sports for you next week, but it's going to be light for a while. I know that. So enjoy enjoy what little sports you get. And now let us read from the Book of Grav. <clears throat> My reputation is beyond me, but I know they'll remember me fondly on those nights I reminisce. I don't do what any of them insist. None of them exist. Such interests, but they're posing like the Empress is the simplest. No complexity. I'm hoping to grow integrity because most just see me as a pretty boy. I'm re- it's real funny till they get destroyed. 
I'm working on my dexterity, focused on reaching the next clarity. They're still tripping off my old smudges. Meanwhile, I don't even hold grudges, but I know many do. Statistically, simplistically, I go sadistically, waging a war against misery. Most of you respond so blistery. Let the trauma still respect the present. Well, I try to stay effervescent. My reputation is beyond me, but I know they'll remember me finally. On those nights I reminisce, I don't do what any of them insist. My reputation is beyond me, but I know they'll remember me fondly. On those nights I reminisce, I don't do what any of them insist. What can I say? Nothing is sacred. All of their bluffing is naked. And that's all you get. I'm not going to continue that verse. <laughs> And that's that's pretty much our show. Um, of course, we'd like to hear from Astro Alicorn if she's available. Do you have anything to tell the humans? Yes, hello, humans. Hello. Hello, humans. What do you want to tell them? That my breast smells like sugar cookies. That's a good thing, I think. <laughs> how, are, how are you enjoying your... <gasps> How are you enjoying all the extra time indoors? What's your favorite thing that you've been doing lately? <laughs> Eating sugar cookies? Um, I just started, so I don't know how to be my favorite, but yes, that is. Like <laughs> no, what is your favorite thing you've been doing lately? Nothing but hanging out with every single body in the family. Okay, whatever. Oh, that's so nice. Well, I'm glad you're having fun. I'm glad that you're in California. It's been a great time with you. This is hot, but I love cookies so much that I don't These even... are good sugar cookies. They're baked by the baking master, Astro Alicorn herself. So, thank you for that. <laughs> really, I have the second important part. What's Making that? Making the shape. Making the shape? Yeah, you, you got it down. This is your first time making cookies yourself, right? Yeah. That's pretty cool. With the help of my grandparents. Oh, that's so nice. Well, I'm glad they helped you out. And um, we got to capture the cooking process <laughs> earlier in the show. So that was cool. <laughs> it was fun. So I'm glad I'm glad you're having a good time. Mm -mm. Hopefully we can mm -mm. see some more bunnies. Mm -mm. Are you hoping you can see the Easter bunny? Yeah. <laughs> what would you tell the Easter Bunny if you could? I would tell him if he would come over to my house on Easter. You want him to come? What do you want to? What do you want to do with him? I want to play with him. Yeah. Snuggle him up into my arms. <laughs> I think he'd really like that. Maybe, maybe you could leave him some of your sugar cookies. <laughs> it might work. Well, yeah, thank you for listening, though. We appreciate you listening. Uh, Astro Alicorn is full of, <laughs> of sugar cookie energy right now. She's, like, bouncing off the walls, so. <laughs> but thank you. For, yeah, it's, this has been, I mean, and thanks again to, to my, uh, my wonderful co-host, uh, Pedro Fernandez. I really appreciate him coming on, and I'm sure we'll have him on many more times, you know. I'm really looking forward to that. So, I've learned a lot from him, and and yeah, I just want to thank him again for being a mentor to me and um, and helping me along in this radio process. And 
and I thank him for me being able to bless all of you with this this wonderful show. <laughs> so yeah, uh, you know, keep your heads up. Uh, write in any any comments, any uh, questions for the show. Make sure you send those to me at Life in Zero Gravity, of course, on Instagram. So, or you could write to me on Twitter too, but I probably won't see it. So, <laughs> just do do what you want. You'll figure it out. But yeah, uh, stay tuned. I mean, we we have plenty more shows coming up for you, and uh, and I know la- last week was it was like the coronavirus episode. We had we I felt like it would be weird not to talk about that. So. Try to break out from that a little this week. Break out from the outbreak. Yeah, you see what I did there? I just came up with that. That's not too bad. I'm kind of proud of myself for that one. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> Thanks again, and uh, yeah, stay strong. And it, it, like I said last week, if anyone needs any anybody to talk to, I'm always here. So I appreciate that. And with that being said, I'm about to eat a delicious sugar cookie. So until next time. Thank you for listening to KZRO. And the Lord said, let there be lit. CG, you see me, CC, you CEO, about the beastly flow. Beep, beep, ho, I'm pulling up in my rocket ship, and this a dodge. Juggernaut spit, help a rock, you let a pop to this fist is large. In your skull split, ventricles, the forensic flows to hit pinnacles. Chins explode from a single blow. One take cut, had a scene will go. Cause y'all ain't tough, you're just tough acting. Like connecting, you're just bluff packing. On these tracks, I'm a psycho blacking. At my best off the wall, like Michael Jackson. Got white folks gasping, what a rifle's blasting. And aspen when I crash. Title graphing, you past tense, a future never ending. All negativity, I'm jettisoning. Line them up, I'm defeating opponents. 2019 finally season a moment. Sup, young world, is me again. Out here trying to see a win. We got the ingredients to escape the median. Buckle up, we're about to blast right past those plans Everyone's invited to the Astro Jam Buckle up, we're about to blast right past those plans Everyone's invited to the Astro Jam Better than never, wetter than pelican feathers Remain irrelevant through hella endeavors My peak's higher than the widows on Vegeta Your peak's so little when you see it To your friends, to your fam I'm bringing hella jams All these squares on lean like parallelograms Send a telegram, this I do a old school Come back here, I'm like a cooler Joe Cool Feeling like new Ice Cube All these fools bite zoo I was one to find up on this shoe strike too More wins than a Vietnamese phone book So by the vine, I'm peeping the G Don't look, grabby, the most savvy The West Coast Zaddy If we battle, send your best flows at me I listen single shot the head you send your seed out of your element, your elementary. I educate to begin grand ascendance to make you all less drama tender. Sup, young world, it's me again. Out here trying to see a win. We got the ingredients to escape the median. Buckle up, we're about to blast right past those plans. Everyone's invited to the Astro Jam Buckle up, we're about to blast right past those plans Everyone's invited to the Astro Jam The Astro Jam
Astro Jam. The Astro Jam.